welcome to Why Is with Ty and Dan. This week we discuss Spider-Man at it again. This time with 50% more Spider-Man. My name is Tyler Borland, and with me always is the Danny Vincent. That's me! I'm Danny Vincent! But wait, someone else snuck into our Skype call! Who would do uh, such a thing? Who is it's this? It's me, Mark Young. <laughs> Hello, everybody. I, I am Mark Young, and I snuck into this Skype conversation. I don't know what we're doing here, but... I'm here, and I get to meet my two friends, Danny and Tyler, that I have known from we all went to college together. What a crazy coincidence to run into you guys as I'm, like, lurking on Skype. Now, I'll tell you guys a quick story about Mark Young. Because one day, Mark and I decided to go... Well, there's two stories about Mark Young. One of them is that he kicked me on stage once. Well, more than once. I what? had to be kicked on stage. Oh, by yeah. Him. I remember that. Yeah, he, was that for Torak? No, it was for... Uh, no? I was, his, I was his loyal servant in Torak. No. Uh, <laughs> I think I hit you in Torak. Yeah. What? There was something... I think I, like, slapped you on the back in well, Torak. Well, it doesn't matter. But, like, you, a stage you, slap. You uh, pretty much just dragged me around in Narnia, so... But my other story about Mark is... The story that I always tell my kids at work, but I change it to be about how I wanted soda instead of how I wanted alcohol. Uh, so Mark and I went on a road trip our uh, senior year. Senior <laughs> and uh, we drove through the night. We, we did a we did a full full run, full run. Because uh, we wanted to get to the Grand Canyon because there's really nothing in Oklahoma that's worth your time. Uh, so, so we go to Roswell. Great time in Oklahoma, but go on. Well, we didn't find anything to do. The only thing we did was we went to that Toys R Us, and I got that doll of Sacha Baron Cohen for three dollars. <laughs> and we went to that really bad taco place. Uh, but anyway, no, we went to Waffle House. Oh yeah, that was okay. And it was yeah, the great. Waffle House was alright. Congrats. Yeah. The one thing in Oklahoma anyway. was the Waffle House. <laughs> the Texas Museum was alright. Anyway, anyway, so we drove through Oklahoma to find alcohol. Yeah, so we drove through <laughs> Oklahoma uh, through the. We pretty much we did, I couldn't sleep in the car. I really couldn't. I, I'm the worst at sleeping in cars. Uh, so I am exhausted, and we run out of water. I think I run out of water at least like two hours to our stop. So I'm so dehydrated. I'm exhausted. Mark and I we arrive in our hotel. We check in, and then we go obviously to a restaurant because we're starving. Uh, and at this restaurant, you know, obviously the first thing I do is I order a water because you know. You're in New Mexico, so you actually have to order your water. Um, and then we also order our drinks because alcohol, why not? Uh, and then we get our nachos and all our jazz. You know what I mean? We get our food. We, we order. We order everything. But I'm like, I just really need my water, man, before I can get anything. So a woman, not our waiter, a woman <laughs> comes back, and, uh, she's, and she brings the alcohol, and she brings the nachos. And I'm like, excuse me. I asked for water. Can I have some water? Because I don't want to just drink this alcohol when I'm so dehydrated. And she's like, oh, you have to tell your waiter that. And I'm like, what? 
and she's like, no, yeah, I'm just the person who delivers the drinks. I can't get you a drink. You have to ask your waiter <laughs> to get you water, and then I can bring the water what? to you. And I'm like, okay. And then, uh, so, I keep trying to wave over our waiter. Our waiter's name is Tony. Uh, if you listen to this, I want you to know that I don't feel any. I don't feel any remorse over telling this story. This has traumatized me that I'm still thinking about it three years later. Uh, so Tony keeps walking by our table, and I keep really trying to flag him down, but he's just ignoring me because it's just me and Mark at our table, and behind us is like a party of twenty people. Anyway, eventually our burgers show up, and I still haven't got my water, so I didn't really touch the nachos or my alcohol. And I'm just so when the burger arrives, he's helping the, her, and I'm like, "Can I please just have some water?" And he's like, "Oh yeah, why didn't you ask?" <laughs> and I was so mad, and that's why I'm never going back there. Tony, you suck. I thought it was a really great restaurant, except for for your negative experience. I also remember about that place that there was a a man and a woman and a child in a booth next yeah. to us. And, like, they were totally silent, but the woman was, like, crying very hard. I remember that, you know, you pointed that out. In this, like, I, 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 family nacho obviously place. Obviously, I keep that detail of the story when I'm telling the kids, like, how I say it's about how they kept giving me soda instead of giving, you know, anyway. Uh, but. I just was really dehydrated. I just remember I the story to... about now, but we can't just keep telling stories about our road trip. That's, that's not what this podcast, as much as I like to be like, this, this is the episode where Danny and Mark just talk about the road trip they went on three years ago. Nostalgia for road trips. Anyway, Mark, we have questions for you, because this is a Marvel podcast, not a road trip podcast. Okay. Uh, number one, what is your favorite Marvel movie? You can say your favorite Marvel movie if it's not an MCU movie, and you can explain why, but then you also got to give us an MCU movie. Oh, I I think my my favorite technically is Spider-Verse even though I know that's not like technically Marvel. Should be. Um, I can't. Cuz I think Mhm. Cool. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> I'm I have been approved. Um and I, I think it was just it's got a really well put together story and I I think I I watched it multiple times and <laughs> it is it's got that like nice blend of being a kids movie and also an adult movie because these yeah. movies are for um, kids. I feel like we should definitely preface that today because we I say that a lot in this show, but I think when we discuss Spider Man Turn After Dark, we do need to acknowledge that like everything superhero, it is well, everything that's not already superhero, it is primarily made for children. I mean, every well, so Spider Verse, though, um, I counted as Marvel, but we do want an MCU movie too. So, what's the MCU one? You don't need to explain this one if you don't want to. Uh, my favorite MCU movie is Black Panther, um, nice. because it. Uh, I really, I really felt like I really felt the. the uh, I don't know how to put it except to say that like the hype of that movie really connected with yeah, me. No. I think sometimes what what people are are getting excited about in superhero movies is kind of like distant from me. Or wherever I'm at, or like I can get it, but it's like, oh man, it's so sad when Iron Man, um, like betrays this person, or Captain America does this really cool thing that's really like important for their character. And I feel like going into Black Panther, um, I mean, and everyone knows this about Black Panther, but going into Black Panther, like I had opinions about what the movie was about, and then the movie was like. Here's our take on that, and also like awesome superheroes, and 
uh, Killmonger is an awesome character and has like some of the best superhero he is lines. Marvel um, easily, am I? Yeah. Zemo, get, get out. So yes, <laughs> all of that. Black Black Panther is definitely my favorite MCU nice. movie. Nice. Uh, is WandaVision good? <laughs> uh, what What is WandaVision if not a show that I have not seen? <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, everyone. I really, I really worked on how I would spin that in a fun you way. But there, we, there we go. You gotta have what? an opinion. Is it good? Do you think? If you hear the word Wandavision? Are you like good? Are you like ew, Danny? That's not how you form an opinion. <laughs> no, I mean, like, I'm sure if I watched it, then I'd be Punk like, oh, this is pleasant. <laughs> Wanda Vision is the greatest show ever. Good. Um, I saw your article today. I, I sorry. I'll actually say that for the the news because we don't have the news. I'll bring it up briefly. Then, okay. I will. I. I'm oh, sorry. I'll stop pressing you on the Wanda Vision. <laughs> uh, okay. So, who's the best Spider-Man? Is it Tom Holland? Is it Andrew Garfield? Is it Tobey Maguire? Or is it someone I didn't list? Well, you know, I I wrote down Tom Holland here. Um, just because that is what my brain decided on, but I feel like I have to qualify that a little bit because I feel like Tom, like it would be either Tom Holland or Tobey Maguire, but they're they're very different. And mm-hmm. I think I think Tom Holland is like in their respective universes and the tones of those universes. I feel like they're both they're both very very right for those the different things like i think tom holland is perfect for the cartoony spider-man far from home stuff and i think uh toby mcguire is great is great for the um the sam raimi movies all right yeah sure i'm, yeah. I'm trying to get through this quicker because i realize i've been spending too much time goofing off here but yeah oh, normally cool. i would be like how dare you pick tom holland but we have a lot of notes on the thing i like how my favorite Spider-Man is Tom Holland, and like I've never mentioned it because I knew it would cause conflict with you. Anyway, we're not going to address that right now. <laughs> the best Spider-Man. Right? Well, you know I what? I'm going to say I'm going to tell you guys right now since Tyler just decided to throw his out on this one. I guess this is the Spider-Man episode, which makes sense because it's Spider-Man. Too many Spider-Mans. Uh, <laughs> turn off the dark. Uh, anyway, uh, the best Spider-Man is Jake Johnson or Shamik Moore. Which is in Spider-Verse, so get off my back. Oh, okay, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> You're just like, yeah, all right, sure. <laughs> because but of the three it wasn't people. the three people listed on the screen. What is the worst Marvel movie? Wait, 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 wait. To the prefaces, this is our question from our last guest. So, Mark, yeah, answer with Tyler. Just wow. My, my least favorite Marvel movie is Guardians of the Galaxy. And I thought a long time about this because I thought you would want to have me explain it before the we talked about a waiter. <laughs> um, but I, I think I think in the end it just like people love Guardians of the Galaxy and I do not feel it and that heightens my my frustrations with it and my my I don't I don't love Guardians of the Galaxy. That's that's my take. What is the best aspect then of Guardians of the Galaxy? No, I w- I will say well never mind. <laughs> um, my m- <laughs> the my favorite part 
I mean, that I, what, what is clearly the best part in every way of this film, technically superior, emotionally moving. The part that I enjoyed and remember the most is the first scene with the mom having cancer. Um, because I don't really feel this in the rest of the movie, but I feel like that is like, that hits me in a, in a deep place right off the bat. And it's like, wow, you have to deal with your, your relationship to your parents changes and the way you see them is all, is all messed up because of some illness you can't control. And I was like, wow, that's so, and oh man, deep. I have to like sit with those emotions and then you know, a few minutes later, it's like, ooga chaka, ooga. <laughs> but anyway. And now we need your question for our next guest. It has to be Marvel related. You can't just be like, oh, what's your favorite soup? No, we need, we need a Marvel related question. <laughs> <laughs> I, I could just ask that, though. <laughs> no, um, you can't. I'll Drew, demand Drew a had a really good. <laughs> uh, Drew had a really good one that I don't know if I can top, but I, I would ask. Um, I know that Marvel has had so many crossovers with its characters so far, and more to come, which makes this question difficult, but I would just say, if you could have a crossover between any two Marvel characters which hasn't happened already, what would it be and why? Ooh, that's a good question. Ooh, yeah. Because I think... I think it's, I think it's kind of hard at this point, but... Yeah, there you go. Cool. The worst Marvel movie is Thor 2. And mm-hmm. don't oomph me. We didn't oomph. No, I know. We didn't I know oomph Mark's take. And Mark said Guardians of the Galaxy's <laughs> worst Marvel movie is something that most people would disagree with. So don't oomph me not liking Thor 2, <laughs> which is objectively one of the least popular Marvel movies. It's a hidden masterpiece that just hasn't been chiseled Anyway, yet. the worst part of Thor 2... <laughs> It, no, the good part of Thor 2 is, well, the easy answer is the Captain America cameo, because it's funny, but the actual good part of Thor 2 is that the portal fight in the end climax is legitimately clever at points with some cool stuff with Thor's hammer. What about you, Tyler? The worst Marvel movie for me is The Incredible Hulk, because Bruce Banner's story works perfectly fine and is even more solid if the first time that we ever meet him is in the Avengers. So what is the best aspect of this bad movie? No, actually, I was going to say the Hulk and Abomination fight, but I'm going to go with actually the uh, oh, chase dope. the chase scene through, uh, through is it Brazil? Yeah, that the very boring yeah. chase scene. Like, it's extremely bornish. Yes, Tim Roth is, is amazing in that movie. Tim best Roth part. is... Actually, yeah, I'll just say best aspect of this movie is Tim Roth. All right, so. yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah. Definitely yeah. better than Christopher Eccleston in Thor 2. Uh, anyway, <laughs> uh, so now we'll move on to our actual the actual podcast. Is this what I've stumbled yeah. onto? Uh, now, quick note for our listeners is that we actually we usually record this episode pretty much as quickly as we can. Like... As soon as we can, the Tyler can edit it, which would be on a Friday or Saturday, so we can get all the news for the week. But due to me having car issues, I have to go get my car fixed somewhere. I, I have to travel this weekend, so I can't record this weekend, so we bring it on Wednesday. So this news might not be as up-to-date as you might think. We'll cover the stuff we mix next week. Uh, so the first big news is something that you might already know about, because me and Tyler put out a bonus episode about it. But the first trailer for Venom, Let There Be Carnage has released. Now, me and Tyler have already given us our takes in our Ralph bonus episode. 
However, Mark wasn't on our off bonus episode. So, Mark, tell us your opinion on the Venom 2 trailer. Loved it. Uh, Everything about it. it. It's great. Yeah. Um, Well, I'll tell you what. I I didn't realize Venom was like a comedy sidekick. Oh, man. I, I saw the whole thing as being very, like, angsty. Mm. So it, it makes me want to check out... It makes me want to check out Venom, actually. Just be like, wait, what? what's that all about? Uh, yeah, you've got a nice, pleasant surprise coming your way. As we said, well, we didn't have a lot of news. So this news is a bit kind of a stretch, but we wanted to include it all. Okay? So next up is Andrew Garfield says... Emphasis on the word says he won't be in the new Spider-Man movie. Do we believe him? No. No, I don't believe yes. him. What, Mark, you do? What? Uh, no. <laughs> I thought you were like, yeah, I believe him. How dare you guys not trust Andrew Garfield? What did he do to you? <laughs> we could just we could I... just ask Molina about it. Yeah, honestly. He'd probably just tell us, have, have you done any scenes with Andrew Garfield? <laughs> oh, yeah, the other day. I was... <laughs> Stand and doing my thing, and <laughs> Albert Molina's like, yeah, I'll tell you guys. Uh, yeah. So, but let's say Andrew Garfield wasn't in the movie. What would our opinion on that be? If Toby, like, okay, so if Toby, who's also rumored to be in it, I would love like a live, basically what Spider Verse did, um, but a live action where he comes, he comes in, and he's like, hey, kid, look, you know, this happens in the future, whatever, or this happened in my universe. Do you know what Tom Holland would say in response to that? He'd be like, in your universe, is Mr. Stark still alive? That's what he would say, right? That that, that checks out. Right? Yeah. Well, we know there's yeah, a Doctor yeah. Strange, Sam Raimi Spider-Man. Yeah, it's taken. So, Mark, are you going to be mad yes. when you spend the money to go to see Spider-Man No Way Home in theaters? Because we all know that you're the biggest Marvel fan here, so you're definitely going to go like three or four times in theaters. At New York City prices, uh, to see Spider-Man mm-hmm. Way Home. Are you gonna boo when the credits roll and you realize Andrew Garfield is not in the film? <laughs> um, <laughs> or are you, yeah, are you gonna sure. think? I think are you gonna be, be like pacing back and forth and now being like, "Come on, there's still a mid-credits scene. There's still a post-credits scene. He can still show up." <laughs> I, you know, I might just because I might be able to like get a few people on my side. Like they wouldn't know what was going on, but they'd just be like, "Yeah." What you know? What, whatever this guy's yelling about, <laughs> and I feel like that'd be fun. So let's say yes. Okay, thanks, Mark. I'm glad that you're a big Andrew Garfield stan. All right. Yeah. And now we've got another bit of news, which is that I loved him in the Marvel film Silence. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, actually, we've been extremely careful not to bring up the touchy subject of Scorsese and Marvel on this show. So how dare you be the first person to break that seal <laughs> I'm, I'm amazed you think I wouldn't be the first person to break that seal but I mean I, I love I love everyone but you know all right I'm, I'm definitely the outsider right. here well speaking of Martin Scorsese I did read an article a few weeks ago that was titled WandaVision is the Mar- the Marvel Cinematic Universe project that Martin Scorsese would be proud of, which I think is hysterical in and of its own right that someone wrote an entire article about that. But that moves about on. That, to, yeah, it moves on to some WandaVision news, which is WandaVision almost had an appearance from Doctor Strange. It was cut because, uh, well, 
I'll be honest, they don't list it, but it's products of Corn. Um, but because they thought it would ruin Scarlet Witch's agency in the sequel and in this show, and that she didn't solve her own problems, it would have been, to quote, feeds directly this white guy showing up and trying to explain to her how magic works. Are mm-hmm. we bummed that Doctor Strange didn't show up to mansplain? Mark? I'm no. What's your opinion on mansplaining? No, probably probably a good <laughs> idea that he didn't show up to mansplain. Good. We're in agreement here. We do like Doctor Strange, but we don't like mansplaining. Uh, we have some other news that I forgot to write down, so I'm going to just throw it at Tyler really quick and see his quick takes on them. Uh Uh-huh, okay, let's go. So, Dave Bautista says that he does not want to play Drax again after Guardians 3 because he'll be too old and fat. Because he'll be be in his mid-50s. What's your your opinion on Dave Bautista being fat? Go, wait, wait, wait. (laughs) He responded to this too fast. (laughs) You did not ask a question. I thought you'd ask. Okay. (laughs) Dave, you do whatever you want to do. I can't believe you. Uh, Yeah. No, I say, like, as long as they finish his story out, (laughs) <laughs> good um and it's not like we just drop it you know drop him uh then i'm then yeah i mean it's it's cool as long as his character gets the ending that he needs and yeah mark's just like the ending <laughs> is that we just cut the guardians from the entire marvel cinematic universe uh no, no, no. Mad respect to Dave Batista being like, in two years, I will be fat. Don't cast me. Like, he has a resolve that many of us don't. I, I, okay. Well, one day we'll get to talk about Dave Batista on this podcast because I love Dave Batista. He's going to be Knives Out, too. What a guy. <laughs> anyway, that's not Marvel news because Knives Out is not, as much as I would love, but not blank to join the Avengers. That would be really cool. Uh, our other bit of news I gotta throw at Tyler. Actually, this isn't throwing. This is what I alluded to earlier when we were talking about. Uh, I think we brought up Marvel TV briefly, uh, which is that there was an article today in Variety that I read where it broke that Marvel shows do not have showrunners, uh, which seems like news that I kind of assumed. But okay, so most shows, right? They ever have a head writer or a head producer mm-hmm. that's referred to as the showrunner. They're never officially called the showrunner. Like, like it's not like yeah. in the opening credits of the show, it's a show ran by this person. It's, like, created by. Uh, and for WandaVision and Falcon Winter Soldier, we'd assume that the showrunners were the head writers, which when that Malcolm Spellman from Falcon Winter Soldier, and I think it's Jack Schaefer. I might, mispre- mis- I might be mispronouncing her name, uh, but Jack Schaefer for WandaVision. However, the news broke today that Marvel do not does not consider these people as showrunners. The showrunner is our boy, Kevin Feige. Uh, what is our opinion on this? Do we think that the showrunner should get to be more of an auteur on the Marvel TV shows? Or are we cool with Feige getting his grubby hands over everything and demanding it belongs to him? That's a very pointed question. I'm from the question. But, you probably uh, that's where I laughed. <laughs> <laughs> you can probably guess where I land. So I will be giving my opinion because everyone knows where I land on it. <laughs> they should definitely be recognized and given their credit. 
Yeah. Okay, before we move on to the green room, I want to clarify one thing for Mark because I see he's laughing. I'm the one mispronouncing Kevin Feach's name here. Uh, <laughs> I want to clarify that. I was I was going to call him I was going to respectfully call him Kevin <laughs> just to not start. <laughs> no, no, I purposely mispronounced his name because I think he has too many people pronouncing his name right for the way it's spelled. Uh, <laughs> he needs to be taken down a So it's pronounced Feige? Uh, I think so, yeah. But I, I, it's Feige to me. I think calling him Kevin Feige is funnier. All right, we're going to the green room. What, what? As is now our new norm, when we have a guest, our me and Tyler's green room is being released separately. It's optional for our guests to attend the green room if they want. They can if they will. I think Mark will be. If he isn't, it's okay. We'll be like, oh, Mark ditched us at the beginning of the next episode. <laughs> if he doesn't, me and Tyler are going to talk about our movies later. If you want to hear us talk about Tyler, I think, is watching Buddy Games. And I'm probably going to talk about Heat. Well. Mark, what did you watch? I would like to tell you that I, oh my gosh, I just forgot the name of, there he is. <laughs> I forgot Jim Broadbent's oh. name, but I like Jim Broadbent. <laughs> anyway, um, I'm sorry, Jim Broadbent. Anyway, I watched <laughs> the I watched the Paddington movies, the Paddington saga, um, the week before this. Uh, because, as some of you may be aware, Paddington was in the news <laughs> as like a joke because Citizen Kane... I, I don't fully understand, and I tried to look into it, but it was like, I wasn't I wasn't going too deep on this, but it was like Citizen Kane got like a bad review on Rotten Tomatoes or something, and so it people for whatever however Rotten Tomatoes works, Paddington became better than the thing. The reason why it was a big deal was because it was a review from 80 years ago that resurfaced. Otherwise, Rotten Tomatoes isn't going to add some contemporary view to Citizen Kane. It's like this sucks because it's obviously just there to try to break down the score but since it was like a contemporary view from the time citizen king came out they're like yeah i guess we got to put it up so that's why it's went down go on then sorry i, w- I wanted to clarify that to well, the listeners no that's that's good and that i think that's valid for them or like our rotten tomatoes wants to run their run their world but anyway twitter was like oh my gosh paddington 2 is better than citizen kane and like the paddington twitter put something up and i was like oh man i really should watch these paddington movies now that people say they're better than Citizen <laughs> Kane. And I gotta say, I I really enjoyed the the Paddington movies. Um, my one thing that I wanted to bring in is that I do like Jim I do like Jim Broadbent. Even even though is uh, I mean he's like he's kinda like rip rip torn for me. He's like his name kind of like is lost to the winds or whatever. But I I wanted to mention that when Paddington came out, um, Bruno Ganz was still alive, and I feel like because the antique shop owner that Jim Broadbent plays is supposed to be an immigrant to England, I I think Bruno Ganz should have played the antique shop owner. And if you don't know who Bruno Gans is, he's a great actor with a ton of credits, but most people probably know him <laughs> for playing Hitler in Downfall. Oh! So he's in those memes. I feel like that would have been a really nice thing to, like, like for people to see him in. The Paddington movies is they're good, they're solid, but imagine if they had the Hitler reacts guy in them. <laughs> <laughs> Bruno Gans was, he was in, he's been in so many things. He's wonderful. 
He's he's in um, Wings of Desire, and he was in Nosferatu, and all these things. Um, that's my take on Paddington. Is he alive, or did you say he was still alive, so he's no longer with us? No, he, he passed away shortly. I, I don't know if it was his last film, but his close-to-last film, as far as I know, was The House That Jack Built oh, yeah. by Lars von Trier. Yeah. yeah. Did not um, see it, but I know And I, I just think it would be really cool if people had an introduction to him, which wasn't The House That Jack Built or, or Downfall. Um, That's fair. Because he's great in everything, but, you know, anyway, that... I, I have other takes on Paddington. Well, Which one do you want to talk about more, Paddington 1 or Paddington 2? Oh, they're kind of... I mean, they're both the same in my brain. Although, I will say that... I don't know. This this might be kind of a... This might be kind of a common take or like a... I don't know. It, it, might, it might be like a very surface level take. But it is, it is interesting to me that in the, the very first Paddington movie, it's like clearly about immigration. But they're all white people except for the bear. And then Paddington 2 really goes out of its way to show, like, the neighborhood is a is a diverse place, and it takes the forget, whole neighborhood to I've solve problems. I've seen the first Paddington three or four times, but I've actually only seen Paddington 2 once. Wow. I know, it's weird. In Paddington 2, is Peter Capaldi still hate Paddington? Yeah. Okay, so Peter Capaldi's He's still the racist. The, uh, okay. Yeah. I, I just literally couldn't remember if he was, like, redeemed for some reason. But no, it's okay. I Like, you know what I mean? Like... It's better that he's not redeemed because mean neighbors aren't redeemed; they just stay mean. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I love. I, that's well, another thing I loved about the movies is like tonally they were like perfect. In it seemed like the messages they wanted to give us were, I thought, done just in the way that they needed to be done, and sensibility of plot didn't get in the way of that, which I think is a good thing. I've, I've not seen the Pad- the Paddington movies. I can't believe this. What? Yep. Man, you gotta watch Paddington. Uh, <laughs> I've heard I've heard they're really good. Uh, so. so my take on the Paddington movies is uh, so the average person always like, Paddington 2 is the better film. I prefer Paddington 1 for a very superficial reason, and that's that in Paddington 2, the children are a bit too grown up for the story, in my opinion. And that's not the fall of the movie. I don't want them to recast to the kids. However, when Paddington's sister is, like, 16 years old or whatever, she looks old in the second one, it just kind of ruins the magical fairy tale vibe to me a little bit. That said, the second one does have a vastly superior villain, as much as I love Nicole Kidman, but... Hugh Grant got Oscar buzz for Paddington 2, and he was snubbed. He deserved an Oscar nomination for Paddington <laughs> 2. He is great in Paddington 2. Um, yeah. I, no, go on. No, no. Well, I, I, no, I, re- I really haven't read into like how they determined who the second villain in Paddington would be, but it really seems like... Like the villain in Paddington One makes sense as a as a taxidermist. Yeah. But like, I want to know how they came up with the idea of, like, what if what if Paddington Two was like he just fought this comic version of Hugh Grant. <laughs> I think. <laughs> and it's still like about all the I, other I things, Im- but there's also this is he's the villain. I have to imagine they came up was like, okay, so what is Paddington? Because the first one's like it's a taxidermist, so of course it's obvious. So what is Paddington character wise? And what's the opposite of Paddington? I think a vain actor who wants all the attention on him is a good idea of the opposite of Paddington. You know? Uh, And I think that's probably how they got to Hugh Grant. 
I'm curious. My favorite thing to speculate is who the bad guy will be in Paddington Three, uh, if they make one, because it needs to be a British person who could play bad guys. My Tyler and I, I think Tyler and I would agree that one name that I've seen bandied about that I would love is Richard E. Grant, because we're big fans of Richard yeah. E. Grant on this podcast. Uh, but I Richard E. Grant would pull off the comedy, but well too. I want to suggest. The possibility, but not as a villain, but as like you know how Brendan Gleeson has a role in a Paddington Two that seems villainous but is actually very nice. Uh, yeah, I want to lift my idea from Peter Rabbit Three and transfer it to Paddington Three and have <laughs> Daniel Kaluuya show up with Paddington and be a British friend Paddington. I think it would be the <laughs> best way to follow up his Oscar. I also think, even though I know Daniel Kaluuya is working on his Barney movie, as excited as I am for that, uh, that he could just be in all of them. Like, put him in Peter Rabbit 3, put him in Paddington 3, and have him do his Barney movie. And he can be the connective tissue. Start that universe. Yeah. Oh, my. I'm so excited for his Barney uh, movie. That'd be cool. <laughs> 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 this is the interesting thing to me about Paddington is that Paddington was given the dreaded reshoots Paddington 1 that everyone made it thought it was bad also important thing notes about Paddington because I always give the disclaimer when we come across someone problematic is that the first Paddington film was released by the Weinstein Company who are gross we don't oh, like yeah, Harvey I Weinstein did, I did on this podcast I noticed that when I was like oh wow He's n- blast from the past uh, and Harvey Weinstein in addition to being a sex f- creep uh, understatement, I know. Uh, was rather infamous for re-editing his films, uh, the films he acquired, and like being really meddlesome and trying to make them good. Uh, I don't know if this is a Weinstein decision. I'm going to say it isn't because I don't want to give him credit for this. But initially, this film was shot and produced with the idea of Colin Firth voicing Paddington, and then he got recast in post-production with Ben Wishaw. Do you think a Colin Firth Paddington would have worked? Because I don't. I don't think Colin Firth is, sounds young enough for the role. Um, I yeah, I suppose I I agree with that. And I, I did I did I think I read that it was partly Colin Firth's decision to to leave. Oh, that, I didn't know that. But that would make that sense. That role. Well, no, I mean, I, I guess I do. I'm 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 in the case of Paddington. I'm I'm very open to him being kind of like a vessel for ideas and if if he is well no i mean like there's so much in in paddington the paddington movies that are like yeah i mean i'll accept whatever's going on here um i mean if he were colin first then you know i don't know i i would i would be okay with that i feel like but i i guess i would miss i would miss um ben wishaw playing yeah him. Would you be okay then with Colin Firth returning to the Paddington movies and being the bad guy in Paddington 3? Uh, I don't know if I would put him in the same... Is he a little retready of Hugh Grant? Like, no, well, he is a little retready of Hugh Grant, but I... Like, Nicole Kidman and Hugh Grant, in my mind, are, like, huge stars. And I know that Colin Firth and Hugh Grant have both been in, like, the same movies. That's true, I actually but, forgot like, they are in... Brit- Wait, no, they weren't. Wait, it, are they... Yeah, yeah they they're were, Bridget Jones. I forget the two dudes yeah, yeah, yeah. in Bridget Jones's diary. No, I forget that it's two grand. I mean, it's, in that. I knew Colin for sorry. Go on. And and Nicole Kidman is, I believe, Australian. Anyway, I think the villain needs to be someone like Hugh Jackman or Hugh Jackman, something like Hugh that. Hugh Jackman is uh, a I little mean, obvious. It, I feel like you know what I mean. Like he's a little too big to well, me. 
Well, I'm just no, I'm just saying that's that's my response to the Hugh Jackman thing. Is that like I get where you're going from, but I don't think I'd go for Hugh. I'd go for like well, Daniel Day Lewis mm-hmm. is the funny choice. Uh but like <laughs> Gary Oldman, like someone like that, you know what I mean? Not like Hugh Jackman. Yeah, uh, yeah, I, I see what you're saying. That, but that's just my yeah, yeah, yeah. my response to should Colin Firth come back is like, oh, I kind of like that they res- these were all like big names or Christian Bale. I think Christian Bale would be cool because I feel like Hugh Jackman is too franchisey already. You know what I mean? I know Bale did Batman, mm-hmm. but he hasn't done a franchise since then. So that's why. Yeah, I think we're still too close to Logan. Anyway. So, Tyler, uh, what's your opinion on the Paddington movies? <laughs> <laughs> on the Paddington movies that yeah. I've never seen? Sorry, I really thought this was, like, world-known. Remember, like, how I made him have an opinion on WandaVision? You have to have an opinion on the Paddington movies. They're great. <laughs> Moving on. Spider-Man! This is our disclaimer. There are spoilers ahead for Spider-Man Turn Off the Dark, a 10-year-old Broadway show that you can no longer watch anywhere other than on bootlegs. Before we get into our general thoughts, let's talk about bootlegs very briefly. This is the first Broadway bootleg I've ever watched. I am usually opposed to this for a lot of reasons, mainly in that bootlegs should... It's piracy. That is what it is. However, this is a 10-year-old show. I believe closed in 2013, right? It's 2013 is when it closed, right? I believe 2014. 2014. One of those. Anyway, so it's been closed for seven years, and they are never going to remount this or even release the licensing rights. Like, yeah, Disney has the licensing rights now. Don't yeah, they? they're not going to put them on yeah. sale for your high school. This is a show they want <laughs> you not to see. Ergo, the only way you can see it was a bootleg. So I, I feel no remorse for watching a bootleg of this. That's all I'm saying. Is like, normally I'd be like, like I would go over friends' houses in high school and be like, do you want to watch? Like among my feeder friends, they'd be like, I have a bootleg of Wicked. If you guys want to watch it, and I'd be like, no, never. I wouldn't watch a bootleg of Wicked, and I still wouldn't watch a bootleg of Wicked. Even if I hadn't had, I have an opinion. I don't like Wicked, but, but even if I hadn't seen it, I wouldn't be like. I'd still be like, I'm not watching it because I can go see it when it comes to Chicago, whatever. But Spider-Man: Turn Out the Dark, never gonna get restaged, so I think it's okay. Uh, if any, if you have any experience with bootlegs, we can out ourselves here as purveyors uh, of Broadway on the internet. I've actually never seen, besides this one, I've not seen any plays or musicals bootlegged. Nice. Uh, and Mark, you? Um, yeah, I think you put it very well. I, I have seen some bootleg things just because someone will mention um, some perf- like performances are really hard to record, especially if it's like, oh, you can only see this person in some regional production, which didn't get the um, which didn't get like the big Broadway DVD treatment like some things do. So. I always think that you should, like, support artists, but I do think, especially in a case like this, it is, like, no no, no one, pe- people are pretty much done making money off of Spider-Man. Those are my thoughts on, thoughts on bootlegs. Yeah, okay, and then I actually want to get off, jump somewhere else first before we go into our general thoughts, is what you mentioned. Okay, trust me, this will relate back to Spider-Man, don't worry. Uh, it might not sound like it, is that you mentioned how we get these nice DVD-quality pro shots now that's what they're called professionally shot but they call them pro shots uh obviously there was hamilton last year there was what the constitution needs to me uh there's one from coming from away coming out this year and that i showed mark the spongebob one when i visited new york in january of 2020 anyway so i actually think 
if this had come out today, it would have got a pro shot regardless of the reviews. Because nowadays, I think they're... Like, Spongebob, right? That's really what I'm looking at. Spongebob flopped on Broadway. Not as bad as this, because Spongebob wasn't as expensive. Um, nowhere near as expensive. Spongebob is actually a pretty cheap show. Uh, oh, by the way, if you're listening to this, uh, we're all theater nerds. This is going to be a very th- actual like theater discussion, which is kind of fun. Uh, I think it'd be... It, Did, yeah, we haven't actually talked about... This is a show where we talk about a theater production and yeah, this isn't a movie. anything you guys normally talk about. Yeah. This, is a, this, is a, this is a YouTube bootleg of the, the Spider-Man Broadway musical <laughs> <laughs> that we're covering. <laughs> I know, Mark, you have an experience with the pro shots. I know, Tyler, you never you never watched Hamilton, but I'm, you've watched a pro shot before, right? Like Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the first one that I saw was Love Never Dies. Oh, yeah! <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I, I saw that. I've, yeah, seen, I've seen that, too. I've seen that one, and I've seen, uh, uh, seen the cats? one of Rent that actually has Olivia Coleman. Huh. Oh, I need to watch Rent someday, but not today. Well, what was interesting to me was this was kind of like, I don't know if I have, how to describe this, but I can, I can describe it for Mark. Is you remember the day we watched my high school musical that was recorded by a air quotes professional videographer that really just zoomed on random characters at points <laughs> i i do i do remember that. and like i ran on i remember i ran on stage and had a big interest and i wasn't in the video and i was so sad i played the mayor of whoville in musical guys i can't believe we know you yeah <laughs> in high school 2014 production of musical i was the mayor of whoville uh Photos in the description, not really. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but anyway, one last thing before I get my thoughts on this. It's very important to remember that to neuter is to be cuter. Uh, and now we're <laughs> <laughs> Are you Bob Barker? No, wait. Telling you us to the, neuter the, our the very beginning of it. Like, you sk- like, okay, so at the beginning of this bootleg, this is a bit of thinking, but we're going to do it right now, and then we'll get into our general thoughts. Is that at the beginning okay. of the like, it starts with, like, 90 seconds of, like, random titles, where it's, like, the poster for the musical, what the marquee looked like, what the playbill looked like, and then there's ends of a picture of a dog, and it says, to neuter is to be cuter, and then the show starts. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't know, I'm like, the person bootlegging this was really concerned about, like, the puppy population or is this like a part of the playbill that they're like oh they want everything we'll include the ad on the back um, i don't know but anyway that's important to remember going into this so since i've been blabbering this entire episode like i do a lot honestly I- i'm a blabberer uh we will not let mark still has to go last but tyler you can go first <laughs> okay uh so my general thoughts toby was better and I'm a Tom Holland fan. Uh, this musical felt very much like an adaptation of Sam Raimi's first film. Um, I think it would be way better if it had no music, new dialogue, new cast, new costumes, and new script. Hey, hey, um, you sound like the producers to Julie Taymor after 1.0, but this was 2.0. Right? <laughs> uh, which we, so, we'll, we'll explain that yeah. later on. Right now we're not going to get into that, but this show has a bit of a history. But go on. Yeah, I seeing how superheroes were adapted to the stage um in this format i wasn't a fan and as of right now i'm of the opinion that superheroes should stay away from broadway what's your opinion on the superman musical 
I've never seen the Superman musical. It's I didn't okay. know there was there was one. I think it's is called It's one? a Bird, It's a Planet Superman. Like that's the whole title. It's a oh, Bird, It's a Planet okay. Superman. Yeah. So yeah, the best thing I watched all week were Farming Simulator mod reviews. Um, this gets half a star out of five from me. So, uh, well, my general thoughts on it are. Uh, I'm jumping actually off what Tyler said. Is this is an adaptation of the first Raimi movie? I would say it's an adaptation of the first two, which is really interesting. I think this film, this film, this play is really to me. I thought it was really interesting because all right, so we watched it again, the 2.0 version, which was revised, revised, revised. I believe it premiered the 2.0 version premiered in mid 2011. Uh, I think it's really interesting because I feel like the story structure is clearly riffing off the first two Sam Raimi films with the mm-hmm. weird addition of Arachne. However, the Peter Parker uh, seems to be straight out of the Garfield movies. Yeah. Which would have been in production yeah. at the time, and the people who were working on it probably definitely, you know, knew what it was. You, you know what I mean? Like, So yeah. I think it's a weird melding of these two visions of Spider-Man. Uh, I think, I don't know, it's... Got some nice kitsch. I do think, and this is obvious, but I'm going to say it now just so it's... Because I think there's going to be a lot of listeners this episode who aren't aware of theater, right? Like, we... This is a good group of people who are like, yeah, we can talk about theater. But the important thing to note is, and I had this conversation with a lot of people when Hamilton's Pro Shot came out, is that you can watch a good recording of a musical and it won't be as good as being there in the theater. And yes. As such, watching a bad recording of a bad musical... I can still assume this would be a much better spectacle if I saw it live with him swinging through the audience and watching the elaborate dance moves and seeing the set. So I find it hard to be really mean to this. I think it has it has elements of my favorite word, obnoxious core. Uh, and it, 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 it... Mark's smiling at me, but if he wants to know what obnoxious core is, I've appeared on like two podcasts to discuss it. Uh, so do your research after this, Mark. Uh, <laughs> the Danny-verse is enormous. What? Yeah, the Dannyverse. I don't know if anyone else follows that. Uh, Danny into the Dannyverse. Yeah, I don't know. There's a, there's a lot of interesting stuff here. It's definitely a relic of its time. I think the music sucks. I don't know. We'll get in. I, my my opinion on it is people are mean to this. It's bad, but it's a very charming type of bad. I will admit it did get me a little tired at points though. And, but a part of that was the bootlegs quality. Mark. Well, first of all, just based bouncing off the last thing you said. I loved the bootleg. Everything about the, every, 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 everything about the way this was filmed brought me joy. We're gonna discuss. Uh, like, the, he, we're gonna touch, discuss the filmmaking behind this. Bootleg. The, the random cutaways it, of the, how the camera yeah. pans away just as they're about to get into the final fight and comes back at the end, where like the goblin's just about to die. <laughs> He was he was like his own character, but um I but I I guess I, I have to agree with what you guys both said and then I would just add um sort of step back and and think about it in the context of other superhero movies. It seems like another one of I, I wrote down that it was kind of like the Ang Lee Hulk. It like, is, yeah. It yeah. was like superheroes yeah, it's like an outsider's perspective on superheroes, which was it seems like Iron Man, when they decided to like take Iron Man seriously, is the the time when that shifted, and so this this felt kind of weird because for for anything else about about the show, it, it seemed like fundamentally this was made by people who were not like 
fans of Spider-Man. Mm. I don't know. I wish I had like a better a better way to put that, but it it was more like, whoa, comic books are wacky, and everything else is kind of like, you know, I I, ju- I just got that that vibe from it. Yeah. Um. Not not to you know, and there are lots of things that I liked about it, but. Yeah, no, you're right. Was, um, I also wait. Can I add something to that? What you just said about like yeah, this is yeah. outside. Perspective. It's in what you said about how Iron Man and I don't know if you said the Dark Knight also, but those come out in the same year, you know, 2008, and stuff changed. And this came out in 2010. Uh, the first readings mm-hmm. for this musical began in 2007, and I think it's really interesting. I don't know if you meant this point or not, but you kind of made me think that this is a relic now. But even when it came out, it was a relic. The type of superhero storytelling it was trying to give. It was because yeah. mm-hmm. Iron Man and Dark Knight changed the way people wanted to watch their superheroes uh, in diff- very different ways, but yeah. also in very similar ways. But both of them were away from the Raimi camp, the Fantastic Four camp, and this very much engages with that camp. Uh, but go on. I, I, I think that's an interesting point that you made, even though I don't know if you actually meant to me- make it, but I wanted to add on. No, no, no. I mean, yeah, that, that's basically what yeah. I meant. I do think it's interesting that you mentioned Dark Knight, because I think that Dark Knight... I would put Iron Man over on its own uh, as, like, people take superheroes seriously in the real world versus Dark Knight, which I think is, like, shot in Nolan's... His style is realistic or whatever, but I think Dark Knight is more like Black Panther to me, Mm. where it's notable for the ideas uh, and, like, what it is about. And that's why people like the Dark Knight is because, like, whoa, the Joker is this guy who's like thinking about these things and it's about like well, you know, I, I think you're right Mark but I want to clarify I want to clarify where I'm coming from when I made the comparison which is I just talking about influence because the amazing Spider-Man movies in particular especially the first one is very inspi- is very designed to be this is Batman Begins but for Spider-Man you know and that was very mm-hmm. much an approach for a lot of blockbusters not just Marvel blockbusters, you know, or superhero blockbusters. That they're like, we're going to try to make it gritty like The Dark Knight was without recognizing what you're saying about The Dark Knight and, like, what actually made The Dark Knight good. And that that's what I'm saying is that it's interesting that this musical completely, like, that's passed it by because it was in development too early to even incorporate that into it, which is good because I don't think a Spider-Man musical would even be... It, this is fairly conceptualized, you know what I mean? I think it'd be very hard to conceptualize it in a post-Iron Man Dark Knight world. But do you have any other... You no, know, I think you could. Like, we've swung the other way, I think. We're ready to, like... But it wouldn't be made by an outsider, is what I'm saying. Is it'd like, be made by someone like so Lin-Manuel Miranda, who's like a big fan of it. Now. You know, like, it'd be like a Broadway person who's a fan of it. Like, Lin-Manuel Miranda, mm. or like... More likely not him, because he'd be too big a get to get. But, like... It would be it'd be like how Sarah Burles has right wrote a musical. They would find someone who's a fan of Spider Man, who's like a singer like that, who isn't Bono, because the Bono music mm-hmm. also makes this feel dated to me. I'm sorry, I'm getting into my own thoughts. Do you have more general thoughts? I'm jumping ahead. I'm sorry. Uh, I my I wrote down in my notes that the Goblin of Patrick Page, <laughs> who I loved very much, but I was trying to think of who he reminded me of, and he he reminded me of <laughs> of the lawyer from B Movie. <laughs> um, and like I love the Goblin as Patrick Page. I was just like trying to place that voice, and I was like, oh my god, he's John Goodman in B Movie. <laughs> so that's my general thought. 
<laughs> and that, I'm done. All right. No more. <laughs> All right. So next we move on to our segment where we talk about usually letterbox reviews. Now, unfortunately, no one has added this to letterbox. Since we can't do that, uh, we are going to do two separate things. Is Tyler has some YouTube comments, and I have comments from the contemporary reaction on Broadway World, which I will explain what Broadway World is after Tyler does his YouTube comments. All right, so I picked uh, three YouTube comments that stood out to me. Um, Mace Hude says, Spider-Man fighting a pool floaty wrestler is the most amazing thing I've ever seen. I would agree, <laughs> Mace Hude. Uh, Crazy Coral says, I want my senior quote to be, what do you mean he's just bees? Suzanne Green says, I think for the bullying scene and song, the choreographer just said, okay, just bully him as gently as possible. Nice. So, now Broadway World is a message board that is still very popular, which is always a shock to see on the internet. But Broadway World is a theater Broadway, obviously, uh, it's it's a theater message board. And uh, it's full of really catty people who always get mad at each other about Tonys and stuff. It's very fun to browse when you've actually seen the shows uh, and stuff. Uh, I remember actually made an account on it very briefly when I visited New York, and I was like, oh, we can't see three tall women. What should we see? And we ended up seeing Iceman Cometh, which was great. But yeah, Broadway World, it's, it's, a, it's a nice cesspool. I like it more than other parts on the internet, such as Gold Derby. And no one knows what I'm talking about, so I should just... I appreciate you. Thank you. Don't go on Gold Derby. It's, it's a gross cesspool. Broadway World, I since it's, it's an old forum, it's been around since... Like You can look up first Wicked reactions on there. like Or Book of Mormon reactions when it first premiered. So... I've loaded up the thread that call, that's labeled my view of Spider-Man 2.0 versus 1.0, which, again, we're going to get into the differences later on, but we watch a 2.0 version. The 1.0 version is extremely different, so we can't really comment on it because there's no bootleg of it. So the first person loved it. This person thinks, I'm very glad that the end of the second act that Reed gets to fly. He is such a talent, he should get a Tony nomination just for what he does in the show and win for how he does it. Reed Carney, rather famously, does not have a Tony nomination because he was snubbed for Hades Time when literally the entire rest of the cast got nominated. Poor guy. Actually, really, I, I like him in Hades Town. That's why I'm like, I legit would have liked him to see him nominated there. Uh, the flying sequences are breathtaking and I'm impressed with the ambition. I think this could connect to the masses and I would not hesitate to recommend it. Another person said, this hits sensory overload. I was very disappointed with the score. Story, meh. Very tedious. Good spectacle. Very, not very good theater. Where is the orchestra? (laughs) (laughs) I thought it was great theater. I'll just say that. Uh... Uh, I'm trying to most sorry. What are the furries doing back there? What does that even mean? Well, this is the last one I'll give. Sorry, this one's actually good. I saw Spider-Man four times in the theater. This is extremely unique for me. I try to see everything, but very few things more than once. I saw Spider-Man version one three times, but the second version only once. I was completely crushed and saddened to see what they did to my boy with version two. Uh, there was a lot to be worked out with Tamer's vision, but it was very over the top crazy. Version 2 is dull. It made less sense than Act 2 of Version 1. All the decisions were wrong. The added dialogue was terrible. The new choreo was uninspired. Uh, Spider-Man was a disaster on many accounts, but Mrs. Tamor was going to accomplish something that was awe-inspiring. 
And with that, I think we should go into the discussion of version one versus two, and then we can dig in. So there are really there's a couple big versions between one and two. The biggest one is that there is a geek chorus. As in, there are four characters, all that are Marvel comic characters. I'm just going to give you the names now, because I think the names are really funny. That They're just listed as the Geek Chorus, and then in parentheses, Miss Arrow, Jimmy Six, Professor Cobwell, and the Grim Hunter. Although it looks like Professor Cobwell... It's actually kind of funny. <laughs> if you try to click Professor Cobwell, you know how it's hyperlinked on Wikipedia? Yeah. The hyperlink for Professor Cobwell links back to the page you're already on for Spider-Man Turn Off the Dark. So <laughs> I guess he's an original character like the Swiss Miss. Um, in this version, Arachne, who is a big part of this, despite not really being a Spider-Man character, yeah. uh, has is one the main villain. Along with the Green Goblin. In this version, the end of Act 1 is the Green Goblin takes the military man hostage, who in the version we saw, the military man disappear after the big song. Uh, Osborne takes Peter to the, the MJ to the Chrysler Tower, sings his song on the piano, they fight, the Green Goblin dies in Act 1. In Act 2, uh, the Geek Chorus enters and informs the audience that Spider-Man has defeated his arch enemy, so the story's done. However, but... The, so basically, the Geek Chorus is writing fan fiction. That's what this is. The Greek Geek Chorus yeah. is writing fan fiction of Spider-Man. And they're saying mm-hmm. this would be the ultimate Spider-Man story. And then they say, well, Spider-Man's real enemy can't be beatable. So they invent a bunch of different inventions. In this version, the Swiss Miss makes sense. Because they send a Carnage to fight Spider-Man. There's a swarm... Craven the Hunter, Electro the Lizard, and then Swiss Miss, who is an OC by Miss Arrow, an original character for the fan fiction. So that makes, like, you know, like, there is a, a reason in the story why Swiss Miss is here. Uh, then Spider Man beats up, uh, well, Spider Man doesn't beat, her, beat him up. It's like, late, you know how later on in the musical, Spider Man's like, oh no, I'm so busy with my life, I can't do anything, you know? Yeah. Uh, that's when he's like, there's all these supervillains that. He didn't go to her play. Yeah, which is from Spider Man 2. That means he's busy. And that's also in this version. Uh, so basically, uh, he does this, he can't beat them all. And in this version, Turn Off the Dark is more of a sinister song, because Arachne invades Spider Man's dreams and says, oh, you're not going to be alone, because now there's another spider to share with my darkness. Uh, and Peter is like terrified of this because he's like, I don't want to be a monster like you are. And then he misses her play, and he's like, I'm Spider Man no more. Peter quits Spider Man as it does in the show. So Act Act One, I'm not giving any change because there are no changes in Act One really, other than the geek chorus popping up. Uh, to be to jump back really quick, uh, Arachne reads the newspaper. That's what he's like. Arachne reads the newspaper and because she's a god, and she's like, "Wait, Spider Man quit." So she gets a villain song where she's like, "I'm going to make Spider Man come back by forming the Sinister Six. Uh, however. The geek course interrupts her saying Spider-Man killed them all in the opening of the, this act. So she brings them back to life as spiders as zombies. Oh, awesome. Peter and MJ then are dancing at that awesome club set that pops up in this version very briefly for her to get engaged. <laughs> I love that. Uh, and then the Sinister Six uh, invade with the Green Goblin zombie leading the new Sinister Six, but Spider-Man doesn't come, so Spider-Man joins Arachne. <laughs> Arachne invades his dreams again and is like, hey, Spider-Man, I'm Arachne, and we're getting married in this dream. And Spider-Man, of course, wakes up terrified of this because he doesn't want to marry Arachne. <laughs> I think this show sounds great. I wish we could have found a bootleg of version one. Uh, yeah. Yeah. 
So uh, Arachne invades the Daily Bugle's office. Uh, oh, oh, okay, my bad. You remember how I was talking about the furries? They were talking about furies. Arachne had furies in this version who helped her along. They were like her villain army. That makes more sense than there being furries in it. <laughs> was there one R or two R's? <laughs> there was one R. I just didn't know the typo. So she sings her villain song where she forces JJJ to run an article that says Spider-Man is a hero. Weirdly enough, I'm reading this. It doesn't seem like the article does anything. <laughs> Even though I think that would be like the thing that would be like, Spider-Man's like reading the Daily Bugle and it's like, J. Jonah Jameson is a danger. He would never run this article about me. You know, like that to me would, no, no, it doesn't do anything. Uh, it's just that like, MJ's like, oh, don't worry. All you need in the world is you, and I love you no matter what, even if you ignore me. And so Peter's like, well, then I can go be Spider-Man again if you give me permission to do it. So he beats up the Sinister Six. Arachne kidnaps Mary Jane. MJ is put in a cocoon and will die unless Peter says she'll be with Arachne forever in the darkness. Then Spider-Man, they fight, and Spider-Man says, I'll be with you, Arachne, if I can save MJ. Uh, And then Arachne's like, wait. So, if Spider-Man is a spider, but he's also a man, then that means I, too, am a human and not a god. I am a human. So then she realizes that she no longer has to be in the dark. She can turn off the dark! Now the title makes sense. And then she can... He, and then Arachne goes to the heavens. <laughs> like, she just descends. <laughs> that's it. And so Peter goes to the Daily Bugle... To get his suit that's been sitting the entire time. So the fight at the end is just Peter. It's not he's not in the Spider-Man suit. And then MJ's like, oh, you must be Spider-Man. And then sirens begin to wail and Peter swings away. The end. Excellent. <laughs> I am very sad if bootleg does not exist in this version. It sounds like a greater hot mess. Uh, and it explains Arachne way more. It's very obvious in the bootleg that Arachne is an afterthought. Like they're like, oh no, we have this contract, this actress contracted. We gotta give her a few numbers. Yeah, and keep the character and use the costumes and sets we have for this. But it doesn't work because no one knows who this character is. The first version sounds better than the second <laughs> one. Better than the one that we saw um, for this episode. Yeah, it it seems like, and I make this point later on that I'm like. There are parts of this musical that were super cheesy, super campy, and, like, those parts, the musical was really good. And, like, if that's what the whole thing was, then, yeah, I would love it. I would spend money on a ticket to go see this. However, the the mess that we got in version two, I can't, yeah, can't buy that I would get a ticket to that but with version one it sounds like they embrace more of that of that camp all right yeah yeah and mark what about you well i i just i feel like i have to say (laughs) that this musical basically is spider-man one but if arachne played the role of uncle ben <laughs> well, but, like okay, mentoring but, okay. Peter. I want to push. Sorry, I just want to push back on this thing because you guys are both saying this is Spider-Man One, but the second act goes so Spider-Man Two. It does. It's, it's. I'm sorry. It, like he does the whole Spider-Man No More arc. You know. I'm sorry. That's where I'm like. You get, give some credit, okay? Sorry. Go on. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I accept. I accept that. I suppose. I'm. I'm just like. Well. Well. Whatever. Um. 
I, I do I do think that having Arachne as the main villain, being being such a enormous new presence in the world, um, sits a, sits a little better with me than than having her replace a uh, character who was already doing his thing. Yeah. So that that is my take. I think my brief take because I I read the whole description is I wonder if this is how like Snyder fans felt. When, like, the only version of Justice League they could see was the Joss Whedon one. Because I, I know Julie Taymor has quite a fan base among the Broadway community. Well, it's, okay, I guess the Broadway community is like, well, we saw the Julie Taymor version. We went to go see it. Because, you know, they would have because it played for, like, a year and a half before they severely retooled it. Uh, mm-hmm. But I don't know. I I'm I, I want to see a bootleg of the Taymor cut, as I would call it. The, the, it really is the Taymor cut. Of uh, the bootleg. <laughs> you want to stir up that old beef. Yeah, exactly. Uh, anyway, so now we can go and dig in. We can really... I, I, I feel like this this particular episode needed a lot of preface to make sense, though. Yeah. You know, like, we, it's, yeah. This, is, this is such a cultural anomaly. And to be clear, we're covering it because it's the 10th anniversary. <laughs> that, that and this is definitely not something we're going to find. We've been recording for an hour and 20 minutes. <laughs> Mark, Are you do you know how long this podcast can get? Oh my goodness! <laughs> I mean, I accept that. I just—I was thinking that. I was like, wait, no one knows what's happening or why. <laughs> I know. I don't mind the length. I was just like, we, we took us eighty minutes to set this up. Now we can talk about the musical. <laughs> okay. Normally, we break this down by plot, but as we are theater people. Tyler has broken it down more as how we would analyze a production in theater school. Let's uh, let's start off with uh, the first category of acting. This Peter Parker is more unbearable than Andrew Garfield, and I've only seen clips of the Amazing Spider-Man films. That's not a dig on the. Reeve Carney. Uh, yeah, that's not a dig on the actor, but it's a, it's more a dig on the writing. I very like I battled myself as to whether this should be a note in script or acting, um, but yeah, acting slash characters. I was um, gonna say I actually like Reeve Carney in the role. I think he does a good yeah. job singing. Uh, I like Reeve Carney's voice in general because, uh, as I said, I've seen Hades Town. I think he has a very beautiful voice, uh, and I also think he gives it like. He gives it the I I want to it's weird because it's kind of what I said earlier it feels like a meld to me of yeah Garfield it's like and an McGuire. Andrew McGuire yeah. yeah and I like that it's very uh I don't know it's just nice like you know it's it fits the tone which is Raimi but weirdly updated to today uh, and somehow more campy I don't know it's, mm. it's fine I think he's good I don't know I like him. Uh, gotcha. I yeah, think I. If there's an issue in it, it's more with the incidental characters like uh, Aunt May, who's not in it much, but isn't really great in it when she is, in my opinion. Yeah. Or like the weird, superfluous character of Norman's wife, who completely disappears after the first act. Right. <laughs> She's his conscience. That's true. Like, and then she dies. Did she die? I, I guess that's how it would be like Spider-Man 2 is like, oh, no, my wife. That's what my wife. Uh, <laughs> I knew it. I knew it. He could resist it. Uh, no. Uh, wow. Excellent. I. Uh, that's also what I meant with the Spider-Man 2 parallels is that he reminded me more of uh, Doc Ock in that. 
yeah. then he reminded me of Green Goblin in the Spider-Man movies, even though he is obviously Norman Osborn. I'm trying to think if there's any other actors to talk about besides the one we also have in our notes. Uh, Mary Jane's fine. She's Mary Jane, you know? Yeah. And that's also super Raimi, the whole thing with her dad. It is, It's exactly. incredibly, it's like lifted directly from it. And of course, also the stuff of her missing her play, it's directly from Spider-Man 2 type of thing. This has to do with the casting more, and I mentioned this off mic earlier, is it's really, it makes sense because it's Raimi-inspired and also it's 2010, so people weren't really aware of this being an issue yet, is that this cast is incredibly white. Uh... It is honestly very surprising for me, just because I, I wasn't really in the theater in 2010, and nowadays I feel like every show I see is makes a very good effort to have diversity on stage, and this really doesn't outside of a few of the uh, supporting cast, not supporting cast, the chorus members, because you'd think that like even some of the smaller supporting cast rules could easily be people of color, and they aren't. They're just collectively white. And also, side note, it made me realize something watching this, not directly related, but it, I did just think of it, is that there is one part of the MCU Spider-Man movies that have kind of, like, taken over my viewpoint of a character in Spider-Man. And I'm, I'll get into this more whenever we talk about the Spider-Man movies, but I realized I really like Flash Thompson in the, in the Tom Holland Spider-Man movies. Mm-hmm. He's really good in them. Uh, I really like mm-hmm. the actor. Anyway... So what was the who is the part of the actors that we want to talk about in Spider-Man Turn Off? The uh, Patrick Page as the Goblin, like Patrick when he Page. was on stage, yeah. he just ate it up. Uh, I I love the uh, earlier when I talked about the like the real cheesy, real campy um, parts of the show that it that excelled. He was usually a part of those. He was of amazing. those parts. Yeah. I think what's great about Patrick Page, because I, I actually talk about Patrick Page quite often, because he's usually who I bring up as the biggest asset of Town, in the sense that there is so many Broadway shows I've seen where there's no good part for bass singers. And mm. Patrick Page, if he's in a show, that means there's a great part for a bass singer, because he's a bass singer. Uh, and I love hearing his baritone here. And obviously, I love it in Hades. I like it more in Hades Town. Uh, but here, it's still like, ooh, when he sings, I'm like, this is a good song. I think he's the. I think. Well, I think Reeve Carney's the. They're different singers, you know? They're both really great. Uh, yeah. But Patrick Page, when he shows up and he sings, I'm like, yes, a Patrick Page song. And one of these songs, uh, I don't know how familiar you guys are with Hades Town. I know Mark has listened to the Off Broadway album at least once. Um, mm-hmm. But one of the songs, the first song he had. Not the first song. The, uh, the song he has where he's talking to the military men about his contract going up and then the military men never appear again. That reminded me a ton of his stuff in Town, Like the mm. very sing-songy voice with this, what do you call it? I, I call it staccato, but I don't think that's the actual term for it. Uh, but yeah. Uh, hopefully our musical theater friends are listening to this episode now that you know, this is a theater podcast this week. Sorry, I just thought about that. <laughs> Man, I, I feel unqualified. <laughs> <laughs> well, I just referred to something as uh, the staccato thing, so don't worry about it. Uh, but yeah, I, I think Patrick Page is brilliant in this. Uh, I think we all agree on that, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, yeah, it's it's really it, it was interesting to watch his performance because it, it's like you mentioned he captured that he captured the tone of the musical really well. That it it had some. I guess you'd call it campiness, but 
uh, pe people in the cast played with like different levels of that, and I thought he just nailed it. And I just think that yeah. is 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 like an interesting thing to think about um, how how one goes about doing that if you have this role and you're like I have to be so big, but you don't you want to like take it seriously or you mm -hmm. know. and uh, yeah, and I think. It's an interesting counterpoint with Reeve Carney because I, I know you don't. I think his performance is actually very good in this. Uh, but I know your issue is more with the writing, Tyler. But I think he's good in this because you have to be sincere for the emotional art to work. You know. Yeah. The issue to me is I don't think, and it's actually funny because it's an issue a lot of people have with the Raimi movies. Is I don't think there's any chemistry between him and Mary Jane, and I didn't think Mary Jane was that. I didn't think she stood out at all. You know, yeah. whereas I thought Reeve Carney was very obviously really into his singing, into the acrobatics when he his mask was off, which we'll get into more when we talk about the stunts and stunt doubles, how the show has stunt doubles. Mm. Uh, but yeah, also now that I think about it, this, made me think about how in Hades Town I was so impressed with his physicality that I'm watching this. I'm like, of course he's great with physicality in Hades Town. He had this, like he worked on this for so long. Uh, but yeah. Uh, next, we'll go to costume design. Um, for me, I... Can you just read it the way you put it? Yeah. Can you put on your best... Uh, uh, All right. Uh, can you put on your best <clears throat> Morton Joe voice? Medio... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Medioca! <laughs> Medioca! There we go. That cardboard camera Joe. prop, though. Oh. Uh, <laughs> that... Uh, there, there... Okay. I'm gonna fight So this. there's a scene... For th for those that uh, for those that uh, have not seen this yet, uh, yet <laughs> so yet, most people like, <laughs> you will go <laughs> you will watch this. They will look this up and watch it after they listen to this episode. Uh, I like how I know at least one person who won't be watching the bootleg because he's like, I saw it live, so I don't need to see this. So there's a there's a scene between Peter and MJ, and. Peter has a camera because now he's working for the Daily Bugle. And I thought, okay, yeah, he's just got an actual camera. I was focused on the two characters and the dialogue going on um, and watching, you know, them move across the stage. I was looking at, the, like, the direction and stuff. And then Peter does this thing where he pulls the camera up. And all of a sudden I realized, oh, that camera is not an actual camera it is a cardboard prop. It's a cardboard prop cleverly designed to look like it was an actual camera. And then it also had a flash to it. And I just... I wonder if that's a leftover prop, you know? That seems like something that would make more sense when this was a fan fiction. You know, like, when it was yeah. supposed to be a fan fiction. Yeah, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I don't know, because I, it really pulled me out of, the, out of the scene. But I just thought that it was, it's like an honorable mention. But yeah, uh, so uh, uh, Mark, what did, what did you have something you wanted? Yeah, to say you want to about talk about that? the camera, didn't yeah. you? I have other oh well, no, I, I mean, I didn't. I didn't just that. want to talk about the camera. I, I was just like, oh, okay, yeah, you, you can go on. I, I just, I, I really, I thought oh, that a well, lot of the costuming was very, was was either like, yes, these people are wearing costumes, or was like very inspired, and there was some sort of effect going on that I thought was neat. Mm. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, my thought... First off, I have this bit later on that I'm going to talk about during our awards, but I want to mention the moment when Spider-Man gets his suit back, and he's walking through the Daily Bugle, 
and he's wearing his suit like it's a jacket. And I got so confused at that point. Like, you know, like how sometimes there's things that just happen. And you're like, wait, why was what? Like, how does Peter wear? Does he wears? Does he wear something constantly under his costume? You know, like because he's wearing it like yeah. a jacket. It opens up like a jacket, and he's just wearing it over like a dress shirt. And I was just so like, huh? And I was like, the, my biggest. That's my big costume moment. I also really liked uh, Norman's costume. Not uh, well, Goblin's costume. We'll talk about in a bit. But Norman's yeah. costume, which was like Doctor Doofenshmirtz or like the mad <laughs> yes. scientist from Tammy and the T Rex. Mm-hmm. Uh, like I really dug that. It was a good costume, good choice. I also really like the bully costumes. Uh, mm. The bully costumes are fun, and yeah, but yeah. Should we talk about the villains though? The villains costumes. Yeah, yeah. So... Wait, 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 wait. One more costume I want to talk about. Sorry. <laughs> then we'll go to the villain. I just okay. remember. What about Arachne's weird dress thing? That like when she's suspended over Peter, and it's like. It's all flesh toned, other than like the spider part of her. Yeah, just think of that costume. It I felt very cool. erotic for me for what this play was supposed yeah. to be. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I had to do a double take, and then I saw <laughs> I saw the the cloth ruffle. Yeah. up, and I was like, okay, because if that was not if she was not wearing cloth underneath that, then I was like, they allowed like they did this. They, this they did this. Spider-Man. I think that would just dark. be the tagline okay. for this. This happened. Yeah, they, they this, did this. This happened, and then it's just her. <laughs> Do her spider legs count as part of her costume? Because I thought, I mean, I just, I just thought it was neat that when they lower her down, it's her, but it's also the backpack or harness she's attached to. Yeah. These enormous yeah, that was cool. That's a good unfold. point. Yeah. 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 yeah that well, we'll that talk- was really cool. Yeah. I want to talk about that stuff more when we talk about the visuals because I think the visuals okay. are really interesting. The visual effects, but yeah, I agree; oh. those are really cool. Um, no, but that's a good good point to bring up, Mark. But unfortunately, is nothing the costumes. I tried you, so you hard. Failed. I didn't. Tyler has right. so many notes about things <laughs> that I didn't take notes on. <laughs> All right. So, so now, yeah, yeah. Tyler, go. Goblin's costume was whack, as were the other villain costumes. Um, just look up Green Goblin Spider-Man Turn Off the Dark, and he's all green, but then he's it's got incredible. these random spikes, and I was I was kind of like, okay, like and when I okay, so here's the thing: when I first saw it, I was like, what the heck is this? What what's going on? But then the more that I watched, I watched the musical, I accepted it. I was just like, yeah, it's yeah, like this. It reminds it's this is it's, him. Um, it's, it fit his character. I hate to use my word, but it's obnoxious core in a sense because it's like cats, the movie cats. Because <laughs> when you watch the movie cats, you're initially just so turned off by the oh. garishness, but about 40 minutes into it, you're just used to it. So you're like, yeah, all right. <laughs> uh, I want to talk about the other costumes because some of these villain costumes were great. But for, I want to talk about them in context of the show. So we're going to go for a few of them. Some of them I don't have listed. But first, I want to talk about Carnage, where the costume's fine, but Carnage exists in this world, but Venom does not. Venom <laughs> is not mentioned. There's a song called Venom, but it's not about the symbiote or about Venom. It's just, just a song called Venom. Uh, so I like that. I like that in this world, yeah. <laughs> Carnage is one of Because the, they all get these big, like, announcers by Patrick Page, like, Carnage! Yeah. Um, 
And in this world, much like how in the Marvel universe, Marvel Cinematic Universe, all Spider-Man's villains are like angry at Tony Stark. In this world, they're all mutants by the Green Goblin. I was very confused because he's only, he only runs on stage when his name is called. I didn't see him in anything else but Craven. So in this version, Craven the Hunter runs out and his head's foam. And I'm like, you know what? Fine. You know, like I'm okay with this. I'll take this. But then I'm like, wait, he's a mutant. So how is he a mutant? And then like his chest like opens up a mouth on it. Like the, the lion on his chest like opens like a puppet for a second and begins like, I don't know if you guys noticed that. Did you? I noticed that. His, I was, it is alive. Like his chest is supposed to be like an alive lion. And I'm like, wait, wait. So Craven the Hunter in the, the, the turn off the Darkverse is a mutant who has just a lion as a chest. Like that that's a superpower. It's like he has a lion on his chest. I I honestly I do remember his costume being very outlandish, but there was so much of that in <laughs> there was this a lot going on. that it just it was like sensory overload. Well he was indeed over over, he was uh, overshadowed by the next villain to appear, who I kept taking videos of and sending to people <laughs> when he pulled up. Because he the tongue, and that was the lizard. Oh, man, that yes. was awesome. Yes. <laughs> that was great was when the lizard would reappear later on when the uh, the town like the townspeople would just be like oh where's spider-man Lala? and then the lizard would just walk in and like just throw his head around a bit and run away and then he just <laughs> went off the stage again it was, it was like okay the, li- the lizard <laughs> Danny, you are the, it's the so lizard, funny. The lizard costume in this in this musical is literally someone from Halloween 2020 who didn't go out and they had a lizard costume. They're like, "Oh man, I got this really cool costume." And then they're like, "Oh, well, I'm, well, I'm gonna just gonna audition. run on stage with it." They're like, "We're reopening the country," and they're like, "Hey, I'm gonna audition for this Broadway play." And guess what? I could bring my own costume. Well, you know, that's what it's it like. like. It's like they grabbed the guy off of Times Square who wants you to take his album and get an autograph of him. And he just ran into the theater and was like, yeah, I'll, I want to be in this too. I I think he... I, I feel like you have to explain like how the lizard costume works, though, because that is really... Yeah, we the, probably should, because we're just yeah, laughing about it. The, ma- the magic so, of yeah. it is that I actually thought when you were describing Craven, you were describing the lizard's outfit. But when the lizard comes on, he comes on as, like, this normal scientist and a lab coat guy. And then this giant, like, T-Rex head inflates from his chest and a tail comes out of his back. But it's still, like, a dude, like, just with a gigantic head and tail. And it flops everywhere. Yeah, well, it had me questioning yes. my, like, I feel like this, if I saw that in a comic book form, I feel like he's he's more exciting to me than, like, the original lizard villain. If he had, like, this weird dude head on his back and, like, all these weird appendages from the dude he exploded out of. Uh, all right. And then we also have Swarm, who is a whatever costume. Uh... And then we have our OC, the Swiss Miss. Uh, You know, I think it's funny. I keep using the term OC, but I'm realizing more and more that you guys might not know what fanfiction terms are. Fanfiction terms? Do you know, Tyler, what fanfiction terms are? 
I wrote one Scooby Doo play in college. Like, yeah, I was in I it. I don't was, know. Yeah, I know. I don't uh, know. An OC yeah. is an original character. That's what, it's something that doesn't belong in the original media that the fan fiction comes from. Oh, uh, okay. But sometimes it's like a self insert, which makes me really hope that, like, in the version one, whoever came with the Swiss Miss was like, she walks in and she's like, oh, the best person in the geek chorus is the person who created me. You know, like, you know, like, yeah. I, I hope they really le- leaned into that, but I, I, I doubt it. But Julie Taymor, give me a call if you did. I, I, have, <laughs> I have notes. Uh, <laughs> uh, but I actually really like the Swiss Miss's costume because yeah. I had always, I'd heard about the Swiss Miss. The Swiss Miss is kind of like the joke of this show in a way. Like, you've, you've heard about it and like about the weird ideas is that, like, you know, there's so many Spider Man villains they can pick from. Oh, and I forgot Electro. Electro is cool too. But anyway, uh, I, don't want, I don't care that much about Electro. Uh, but anyway, so Swiss Miss comes in and her costume is. Uh, so I had thought the Swiss Miss was like a Swiss woman. Like I thought that was like she was like someone who like like a very generic, stereotypical Swiss woman who is like a yodeler or something, like a bad guy, and that was her superpower. But no, she's named the Swiss Miss because she's made of knives. She's like a Swiss Army knife, and so her costume's made out of knives. And I was like, oh, okay, I'll take the Swiss Miss, sure. Uh, yeah, I don't know. It was alright. I like this Swiss Miss. She's cool. I will say that I, I didn't really, I didn't make that connection that she's a knife until the guy in the Daily Bugle office comes in. And yeah, I like, didn't really ever, to be honest. Some kind of, she's, she's like a walking Swiss army knife. And I was like, oh. <laughs> yeah. I thought that was nice. I, what? I missed the introduction of that character. You Swiss missed it. Yeah, I Swiss missed it, and <laughs> so I was super confused the whole way through. I was like, why is this person wrapped in tinfoil with pointy things on the You're just hands? desperately trying to figure out which Spider-Man villain it was. And exactly. I want to point out that not only, like, like Swarm is a really obscure Marvel. Like it's, that's a very obs- obscure Spider-Man villain. So Swiss Miss being a random obscure Spider-Man villain wouldn't surprise me. But no, she's original to this for whatever reason. Hmm. Uh, but yeah, <laughs> I, I I would imagine the OC joke worked maybe if they kept the geek chorus. But then they had this costume of a woman dressed up as knife. So like, eh, we gotta still use it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> all right, I think we can move on to set design. Okay, so I thought that Osborne's lab was a really cool set. I thought that the date between Peter and MJ on the Skylift, I thought that was a cool set. I it was there wasn't much done besides to show that they were they were just sitting on this lift and just having this date and I thought that that was really uh it really it was a it was an intimate set like set uh because we didn't really get anything else around it and that was the main focus of uh it pulled in the the audience's focus there um the set design overall is just off and on throughout for me but when it's on it's really good okay mm-hmm. uh i have thought no 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 i i agree i think i have two main thoughts which is i'm surprised you didn't mention the school set i oh thought the school gosh. set was really cool yeah oh I, at the very beginning yeah like, the we school yeah. set was great 
Yeah. Also with like the frozen like painting behind them with the kids just fighting while the teacher was still talking to them. <laughs> just the right amount of like sketchy bad set mixed with a really cool idea. Yeah. Uh, of how it lifted up out of the like the kids and their desks. Uh, I thought that was really cool. I think this show has an issue that I've seen in a lot of Broadway. I've seen like, well, not a lot. Of, a lot of, actually, no, I haven't seen this on Broadway because I don't go to a lot of Broadway shows. But Chicago shows have this, like the touring shows have such a big problem where a lot of the shows that come in are built for stages that are much smaller than the Chicago stages. Mm. And when you have a too big stage, everything just looks like I don't want to, like it looks Small. amateur. And yeah. there's a lot of points in the show where the choreography to me... I actually thought the choreography was very good throughout the show. Like, the dancing. Uh, but the choreography looks bad because there's nothing on stage. And that's partially because I think Spider-Man needs to swing around and not have stuff in his way. But I'm not a big fan of the empty stage, which happens a bit too much in this. Yeah, yeah. No, that you make a good point there because they they I had read earlier today that they had to expand uh, the theater when they first first held this uh show and that's because of like you said how much room that spider-man needed for his for his swings yeah that just correlates with the set is that the set hurts with that yeah in turn other things doesn't swing around that much either yeah well i mean i think he swung a bit more than we saw i think the uh the camera couldn't keep up with it for most of the time (laughs) (laughs) that's true we had to get our uh Every five minutes, we had to get our general <laughs> cut. But uh, I also like the set for the uh, the what do you call it? The number where bouncing off the walls. I like the set for that too. That was a cool yeah. set. Yeah, cool trick set. Yeah. Uh, Mark, what's your thoughts on the sets? I wanted to mention bouncing off the walls if it didn't count as um, a visual effect, but uh, bouncing off the walls um, is like. Peter Parker in his room, and all of the walls of his room are separate pieces, which are kind of puppeteered by people in all black, and he jumps around off them, and they kind of react to him jumping off of them, and I thought this was, I thought it was great because I I like the dynamism, but I also think that it's kind of like, um, throughout the show, I think... Oh, I don't know. I, I had a really good way of putting it earlier. But I think the bedroom scene does a really good job of making me accept the visible wires that control Spider-Man. Yes, that's a good point. Yeah. And I think that there are lots of times the show, because of the way some of the visual effects are set up, it's like it, it shows you how the gears work so that things that require a lot of visible tech like all the people swinging around like it kind of gets you used to that and makes it part of the language rather than just being Mm -hmm. some something that's kind of distracting i guess and so yeah i i thought the the room the room did that and any any time there was any kind of like visible puppeteering i i thought that was that was really cool. Were you going to mention what you said about the the lab to me or no? No, I, because you misinterpreted what I said about the lab. The thing, the thing oh, that I that I didn't Cancel say about me, the guys. lab was I sent Danny a screenshot of the show as I was watching it on my phone from the lab, and it's and it's the lab scene. And I was scrolling through the comments, just reading them as I watched the show. And I wanted to send Danny this comment 
of some guy saying he thought the show was was fake and that someone was messing with him until he looked at him. <laughs> <laughs> and that's that's what I wanted to share with Danny with the screenshot. And I think Danny just thought that I thought well, the, the I main machine was with, phallic. Uh, yeah, I was like, that's that emoji. That, that's all that Danny did look phallic. It did look very phallic in the screenshot he sent me. So he just completely misread that. But that's my Well, thought. it's on the record now. Eggplant emoji. Uh, Let's move on to the lighting and the sound design. Um, I thought what stood out to me the most about this is the gunshot transition after Peter wrestled an inflatable for a thousand dollars, I can't say that without laughing. Um, yes, that, that's right. You heard, was you heard that right. P- Peter Parker wrestles an inflatable for a thousand dollars. I appreciated them cutting out the homophobia. Yes, <laughs> the movie that is the one part of Spider-Man one that really was not dated has not aged well. Besides, yeah, that's not aged twenty well. twenty-four year old chasing a high school bus. Yeah. <laughs> hey. yeah. Well, you know one one of one of those things has aged worse. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but yeah, I I really like I really like. Well, I've, I've said this before. I like. Uh, I like most like I like cues on sound um, and lighting too, oh, and you, we we've you, got that. You might have mentioned this before to us, but you definitely haven't mentioned it on this podcast because we we haven't talked about theater yet. No, I've I've mentioned things before on like when we get motion on oh, sound. Now you can cancel me because our I was cuts on you. sound. But really, I was the one who needed to correct it. So overall, I would have hated to be a spotlight <laughs> operator for this show. <laughs> yeah, bye, Danny. <laughs> I'll be honest. I don't really have much of an opinion here. I think the show isn't as focused on this stuff for, than other stuff for obvious reasons. Yeah. I don't know if this counts as the line design, but I did like the nightclub that was only in it for five seconds. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was the Which, honest, I'll be completely 3. honest. What? You were reminded of Spider-Man 3 there? Yeah, well, I thought, Ooh. I really thought that because because that's kind of the part of the show where he and Mary Jane are drifting apart, I really thought there was going to mm-hmm. be an, uh, an abrupt, like, Peter change Dance where party? it's like, now I'm an emo or or whatever. <laughs> and, then, and then we get his, his dance. Yeah. Hit, oh my goodness. Uh, what I liked about, honestly, I'll be completely honest with you guys, when we read the version one of this and i discovered that like the nightclub was actually important i was like oh this makes sense now why they have a very (laughs) elaborate set that's only on stage for five seconds (laughs) (laughs) because it is the most over-designed thing on stage in this we're talking about the set design again but yeah Makes so much sense now that I know that there was that it was important earlier. Mark or Tyler, Jim, more to say? No, no. I wanted more purple. Uh, <laughs> all right, should we move on? Yeah, let's go to the music. <laughs> now would I guess be a good time for us to say our favorite songs. Uh, I liked pretty much all of Patrick Page's songs. I liked DIY World. I liked the weird government song where the government agents never came back. <laughs> and I want to point out once again that in version one, they really don't come back either. So I'm just confused <laughs> by them being here at all. Uh, 
<laughs> and of course I like his song at the piano at the end. Yeah. Uh Reeve Carney, I would say the song I liked the most was uh uh Bouncing Off the Walls. But it might also just be that I like that number. I thought it was yeah. a number, which is different than me talking about the music. I do wanna I actually wanna include this anecdote, which is that Bono signed on to this musical because According to the New York Post, he began composing Spider-Man after Andrew Lloyd Webber said, I'd like to thank rock musicians for leaving me alone for 25 years. I've had the theater all to myself. Bono and Tamer decided to give Andrew a little competition. Now, did they did Bono succeed? <laughs> I, as someone who doesn't really like Andrew Weber, I can say I don't. I still I think Weber's stuff is miles better than what's in here. I, I like even mediocre Weber is better than what's in here. To get like off track a bit, if that quote is true, which I also read, I also like that it's wrong because there have been so many rock musicals. <laughs> But this version of Bono yes. was just like, no. It's like, a, it's like when now. Sam Smith won. It's like when Sam Smith won the Oscar, and they were like, "I'm so proud to be the first gay Oscar winner," and everyone was just like, "What? What are you talking about? Elton John has two of these." Like, <laughs> That's my take on oh. that. That's what that reminds me of. <laughs> Bono, what are you doing? Why? Don't, don't quit your day job, Bono. <laughs> um, I thought I thought that MJ's uh, "If the World Should End." I thought that was the best song in the musical. Goblin song in the piano that gives it that gives it a lot of run for its money because it's just Patrick Page. Just hamming it up. up. He's like, yes. I guess, honestly, you know what that scene reminded me of? And I'm going to talk about this more with the act break, too. Is what I like about some shows is that it's so obvious there's padding to fill, like, time for costume change. The one that always sticks out to me is in the SpongeBob musical. There's this really prolonged joke about intercourse. Or at least it's implied that's To me, I, I got the subtext. I thought it was about intercourse between Karen and Plankton. Mm. Like it's a foreplay joke And like it's after Squidward's big number And it's because the actor who played Squidward Actually needed to be on an oxygen tank backstage To recover But he's in the next scene of the script If it was like a normal like You know if you cut that scene that yeah. It's completely useless He's in the next scene So you have to give him time to recover And that is what Goblin's song I'm pretty sure was Because Reeve Carney had to get in this, the harness In the Spider-Man costume Because he actually fights in the last scene It's not stunt doubles because mm. uh, his mask is off for a lot of it, right? Uh, so that's what my interpretation was of why that song was there. But like a lot of like like Plankton and Karen's foreplay, this was a very welcome addition that was born of necessity. I like that everyone clapped for it. Yes, <laughs> it like I reached fifty minutes in this play, and I thought it's done. <laughs> <laughs> Yay! No, I still had I still had an like well over an hour to go, uh, an hour an hour and twenty minutes to be exact. So I was like, "Are you kidding me?" <laughs> so I look ahead and like I'm just scrolling over the YouTube uh, you know uh, timeline, 
and I see it's it shows previews and I see a preview of Green Goblin sitting at the piano and I was like, <laughs> you know what? If I wait for anything, it's going to be this. I and gotta so, say, I, I really appreciated the bootlegger and for all their failings, they did capture that in its entirety. Yes. <laughs> well framed, it was <laughs> see the entire performance, I could see the mugging. It was it was good. It was really Really good, good, good cinematographer. Best cinematography. Spider-Man: Turn Off the Dark. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, I got chills when Rise Above started, but like Arachne came in, and I was kind of like, oh, like it. It actually took me out out of the song. Um, uh, Osborne's song when he first talks about Spidey is relatively good. It's very sinister. Um, and my opinion, it took an hour to get a good song uh, in this musical. Um, and his his laugh at the end of Sinister Six song is really good too. Uh, right. Mark, what'd you think? I I think I mean I think my the song that I remember the most and and sticks with me is uh, Freak Like Me, which I believe is the Sinister yeah, Six a, song. Um, yeah, yeah I'm surprised like, you didn't bring it up yet. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know what that song reminded me of? It reminded me of how like Hamilton has lines that are designed to get a cheer on Broadway, like in the greatest city in New York City. But in this song, it's like there's a bunch of freaks in New York City. <laughs> and I was just like, yeah, this song's for the people at home. The people are like, oh yeah, I live in New York. I love it. Oh, freaks. That because I don't have a lot. I mean, I I think something that I read that I. I think is interesting is that it sounds very much like a U2 set, set of songs and I'm not I'm not super familiar with U2 but like you can imagine um like U2 performing these songs and being like oh yeah and it, like that that really actually, like matches what what they do um that leads me to something I wanted to say very quickly here and then Mark I want to hear more about the music from you but after I finished the musical, I was like, well, I have a commute to and from work that's 40 minutes. I can listen to the entire cast album, too. The cast album is extremely weird for this. I know you, now you checked it out, but there's no chorus in it. All the uh, Reef Carney's on it, Patrick Page is on it, the Mary Jane actress is on it, the area, the area, uh, the, the Rackney one might be on it, too. Everyone else on the album is sung by Bono and The Edge. Who are the, the the band that wrote the music? So, well, they're members of U two. Oh, well, I, yeah. I don't know who the Edge is. I thought the Edge was like his second band. I don't know, bro. bro you got to read about the Edge if you don't what? know anything about him. <laughs> well, anyway, they're on the album and they sing most of the backup for all these songs on the album, which is very weird to me. Just because, I, again, I am very used to hearing Reef Card and uh, Reef. Yeah, Reeve Carney and Patrick Page on my Hades Town music, and then just suddenly they're singing this really bad like mid two thousands rock with Bono backing them, and it's just like okay, all right. So uh, you remember when we talked about uh, the music that was halfway through like the Phase One movies of the MCU? Yeah, yeah would songs from this would they also fit to go uh, to be played there? Yeah. Yeah, I would say that. I think <laughs> Rise Above sounds like a very like generic Broadway hit. I could honestly see, like, let's say they were writing the musical, and then Bono was like, 
Uh, maybe I should go watch another musical to see what musicals can be. <laughs> and he went to go see Wicked, and he was like, Defying gravity, I could do that better. What is Spider-Man Rises about? There we go, that's the musical. And that was Otto's entire process of writing it. <laughs> I really like our, our Bono character discovering what yeah. he changes to where he's from in England every time I bring him up. <laughs> no, is Bono even British? No, he's Irish. <laughs> oh, you up, man. Well, next time I'll get him right. Yeah. I can't believe that just happened. Look, actually, I honestly thought Bono might be American because I remember seeing the picture from after like 9 11 where he had like an American flag draped over his shoulder at a performance. So I just assumed he might have been American. So, all right. And I was just giving a British accent anyway to face him off against the the man, Andrew Lloyd Webber. Uh, any more thoughts on the music, Mark? Oh, no. I was going to say because I had no more thoughts on the music, I want to say something that I forgot about the set is okay. that people keep incorporating the Chrysler building into like New York movies. And especially if mm-hmm. I think, especially if you have like superheroes on top of something and you want to see all those eagles. And it kind of, like, rose out of the ground in this movie. But I don't know if you remember this from, like, being in New York, Danny, but, like, the Chrysler building is, is like, a world record holder for being tall, but it doesn't feel that tall. And it's kind of, like, tucked in the middle of the financial district. And I remember... Well, but my response there is I think the Chrysler building, from what I know of Spider-Man, at least from my experience as Spider-Man, it is somewhat of an iconic location because... In the end of Spider-Verse, he, Miles slaps his sticker on the Chrysler building gargoyles. Uh, I remember in the Spider-Man video game with Tobey Maguire, which I love. I'm talking about Spider-Man 1, the movie, the game, not Spider-Man 2, the movie, the game, which is more critically acclaimed. It's so good. But Spider-Man 1, the movie, the game. Well, okay, quick sidebar. Spider-Man 1, the movie, the game. I'm keeping it very quick. Don't worry. Uh <laughs> You, when you beat the game, you could unlock playing as the Green Goblin, and it was a oh, full yeah. new move set, new combat system, and you could take, you could do the glider. It was so cool. Anyway, okay. uh, but in that game, in the first level, you start on the Chrysler Building, and I just remember swinging around the Chrysler Building, learning how the web sling. So to me, the Chrysler Building showing up here, I was like, yeah, that's Spider Man's place. Like you know, I was like, yeah, give it to me. I get what you mean by maybe not being iconic for New York itself, but it feels very, at least for modern Spider-Man media, I feel like it's kind of a big deal, at least to me. I think it's iconic for New York itself. That's that's more of a me thing. It's like when you you can get out of the subway and it's like, there it is, and you're like, oh, well, all right, I'm on my way somewhere else. But, I mean, I'm sure New York loves it. Anyway, yeah, those are my takes. That's my thought on the music. In the greatest city I love... in the world. What? In the greatest city in the world. Yeah. That's where you live. Rise Above is a great Black Flag song. Choreography. Yeah. So the stunts during Bouncing Off the Walls was good, but I was not a fan of the music. What? That really has nothing Best to do with song. choreography. But, yeah. Um, I'll be honest. I don't actually remember the song. I keep thinking of a Phineas and Ferb song that has, like, the same title. Oh my gosh, Danny. It was, it's bouncing off the wall. <laughs> you watched this like an hour ago. Yeah. I watched this before war. It's, it's 10 p.m., Mark. What are you talking about? We've been recording for two hours. What are you talking about? Danny, that's all in your head. Get with the program. Come on. I gotta turn off the dark. <laughs> so, uh, the uh, And then the first Daily Bugle scene. The office, they did choreography with office chairs. 
And I was like, this is so budget choreography. And the scene overall <laughs> was just bad. It was like, hey, we have people, like, let's create this office. And they're like, what are in offices? Chairs are in offices. Okay, that's great. Let's put in chairs. Let's put six chairs down there. Okay, now we need people to fill the chairs so that way we've got we've got more characters on stage. Okay, so now we got six characters. Oh, wait, these chairs don't move. And we need movement in this scene. Where can we get that movement you know what let's put wheels on the chairs and let's have them go up and down stage just constantly and spin a couple times and then outrageously say like woo and oh no and yeah while this guy does his best impression of sam raimi's J. jonah jameson it's got to be a wicked ab workout because it looked like those chairs were really built for the the women this who were entire singing. show looks like a workout yes. yeah Wait, wait, wait! Just I, dismiss my comment there, Danny. I know I'm the worst. I'm the worst toast. Tyler, uh, Tyler's the good person. I'm the bad person. I'm always mean on this show. Never mind. Uh, Go on. Yeah, get over it. Uh, <laughs> uh, I wanted to say stuff about the choreo, mainly that I think you're underselling it. I actually really like the choreo in the show. The only times I thought the choreo were actually bad was like when earlier when I said when it was too big of a room on stage for the choreo. Or, uh, I don't know, other stuff too. <laughs> I, I wasn't a big fan, you know, that dance set, you know, that, that dance bar. The dancing wasn't that great on it. You had the great set, but I didn't even notice the dancing because the lights were too bright. Uh, no, but I liked, this might be going under stunts, but I would count under choreo because I, do, wait, is this, are we talking about stunts now or are we going to talk about stunts? Yeah, I, I wrapped, I wrapped uh, stunts, like choreography I have is like fight stunts. Oh, um, all right. Then we can talk about the Swinging fights. through um, and, and like any I, dancing. I liked the weird use of slow-mo in this. I thought it was very well done. I liked the people in the, you know, like the visual effects people that were carrying stuff. Like, I like how you Spider-Man. say the use of slow-mo. Like they didn't slow down. Well, you know time. what I mean, though. I, well, yeah, it was it was a, a visual effect of slow yeah. motion. Yeah, within yeah. the choreo. Okay, okay. I'm well. I'll I'll push back on that because that is one thing that I think is like them trying to take something from another medium, and which is kind of like makes a lot of it makes a lot of communicative sense in a certain medium. But in this just seems like it is referring to film versus in uh, film when it's like, it's like, oh man, this moment is so awesome. But then this is more like we're doing slow motion, which is like kind of weird because we're just real people out here. I think, yeah. well, well, no, I, I, I want to push back. Don't, don't, just, don't agree with him, Tyler. I want to say my piece too. You got to take a side after I, I, I get my, my, my okay. So in visual effects, no, stop it. <laughs> I have all of Ireland on my side now. No, <laughs> that's true. No, I'm not moving on yet. We're talking about this. I, cause it's actually something that hasn't come up on this podcast yet. And I think it's an opinion I have that's very strong about superhero movies is that, yeah, Mark, sure. Vi- slow motion comes from movies, but in my mind, slow motion fits comic book movies so well and i think it's because they remind me of like we're slowing down to show you what the comic book frame would look like or like the splash page would look like so that's to me i wasn't reminded of filming this i was reminded of oh okay they're giving me the still frames of what this would be if it was a comic book 
So that that's where my mind went through this moment. It wasn't like, oh, they're ripping off movies. It was, we're trying to give you the most concise comic book action because just quick action is not how comic books work. You get these very iconic images back and forth within the action. And obviously they can't do slow motion with the swinging, which would be the best place to do it because that doesn't work for, you know what I mean? The swinging doesn't work. You, you, you can't slow-mo the swinging. Yeah. That's all I mean. Well, yeah. but you can slow-mo the fights. And that gives you those splash pages. Um, theater is just like so, not like slow in a bad way, but it's just slow because it's real people. And I feel like the feel. I, I just don't feel the need to to slow it down any further to like capture a moment. And I feel like if you do, like if you do need to capture a moment, then you can. You have so many other tools at your disposal, like the set design of his bedroom, where. You know, you have that image of him dangling between the walls, or or there was that one scene where they're like in someone's house, and it looks like the the couch is like a cartoon. For, yeah, I, I did like that. Too. Like that felt very comic-y on. too. I, I feel like that is a more effective. That that strikes me as more. I don't know, like endemic to theater. I guess. I I just. I get this, you. This yeah. is yeah. So that would be a really good place to move on to our next one, but I wanted to say one more thing, sorry, about the stunts, which is that I one thing I really like about theater usually is that, like kind of like what I said with the Squidward thing, is like you can tell when an actor is going off stage and they're quickly changing to come back on stage. But this show, very obviously, even if you didn't know because of all the like hospital <laughs> visits, uh, uses stunt doubles. Uses a lot of stunt doubles. So Peter will run off stage as Peter, and Spider-Man will swing across stage, and Reef Carney will be back on stage as Peter again. Until the end when he actually does his own stunts in, in the final fight. Uh, I, I wonder if that affected your guys' opinion of it at all, because to me I was a little disappointed, because I do like the idea of, you know, live theater is exciting to me because there is a risk factor. And yes, you're risking the stunt doubles, but wouldn't it be more exciting if he was swinging and singing at the same time? He does do that. But it says mask off. Is well, it him? I, all right. Here's here's my thought about that. Um, I mentioned this later. I don't know if it'll come up, but I really liked the little bit of theater magic of he very early in the show. He puts his whole suit on, and then he runs off stage, and then the stunt double swings back on. And so there's that little thing to cue you into the like, oh, it's really him swinging, even though there's all these stunt doubles flying around. And then at the very end of the show, he like he does a swing himself, Reeve Carney, and then he takes off his mask, and that gave me a little bit of like theater magic. Yes, uh, I like that. At the and I was end. like, oh, he was doing it the whole time, even though like of course he wasn't theater risk doesn't do a whole lot for me because these people are professionals and they can i mean they can do whatever they want night after night so i mean the and i think i feel like there are other ways to exploit the the liveness of theater without there being some risk involved the the risk of liveness is sometimes baked in by professionals but i don't think the liveness of theater and the risk that something could is like a normal normal part of the the theater going experience if you're going to see a professional show uh yeah i would agree with that with a caveat that I do think a big part of this show's success, when it was successful, was the voyeurism aspect of, is Spider-Man going to fall off his swinger? You know, I, I I do think the voyeurism 
made this show do well when it did do well. Mm. But in that case, also, it's very obvious why they would use stunt doubles. Because if Reeve Carney's out of the show... Uh, actually, fun fact, his understudy was a pretty, is a pretty well-known actor, too. It's Matthew James Thomas, who played mm. Pippin in the Pippin revival on Broadway. Fun fact, no thank one you. here is interested in. Uh, because, I, I'm interested. <laughs> I was, I, that was very fun. Uh, thank you. Uh, but I think we're getting tired of talking about choreo. Should we move on? Tyler's giving me a glare. Huh? Yeah. <laughs> um, let's move on to visual effects. Um... The big highlight for me out of visual effects, what it's when the uh, we get Sinister Six action happening throughout the city, and there are panels that are brought in to show. Um, are you talking about the projections? Yeah, projections. Which I will say, I am a I'm a stickler. Like I do not like projections in. In a theatrical show, it worked for this one really well, and I think that's because of its source material. <laughs> Are you okay, Danny? I'm shaking my head no violently. What? Uh, I, I have, well, I don't totally disagree, but I, I pitch you this. Wouldn't the projections have been better if they had recorded the lizard actor like in his costume <laughs> instead of just using a CGI lizard. Because I didn't know who that guy was. On, I didn't know who that was. I was like, whoa, there's another? Is this lizard too? But cause he didn't look at all like the lizard this show. Oh. flopping around. Oh, I'm just saying like, the overall, just the comic book look. No, I'm just, I'm messing comic with you. I'm messing with you. Okay. Dinosaur suit lizard man live on forever. That is the lizard. Every every version of the lizard from now on should take inspiration from this version of the lizard. I would love that. I would love a lizard, but it's like like Alan Moore writes the lizard as like the thing. <laughs> <laughs> Mark, what was your opinion on the projections? I, well, I have another thing about visuals. We can talk about visual effects too, if you want. I mean, I uh, could go on and on about visual effects, but the, the projections. In particular, I, I mean, I guess I was just—I uh, I don't know—they're—they're uh, they're all right. I think I think they, the level of production in the projections was very different from the production in the theater. Like the aesthetic was very different, and I think that the projections were a little—they kind of made me be like, "Oh, what this is like." They could have made a whole movie, and it would have looked like this. They versus, had a bootleg, though. They did make a bootleg. Yeah, <laughs> yeah he did a great job. <laughs> but, uh, that, I mean, that was my. I don't. I'm not against project, projections, but this is. I don't know. This is. I. I love. I love everyone, but I think the the take that I'm bringing to this is that I I, I keep wanting this to be pulled a little more towards like, like really bare bones theater. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I had one more visual effects thing I wanted to mention, which was I like the webbing. The webbing. I'm not like when it comes out of his hands. I was actually really, mm. really surprised how good that looked, particularly the first time when it like goes out to the audience. I was like, ooh, like that scene was honestly a cooler moment than any of the swinging. Now, granted, again, we weren't in the theater, so the swinging probably looked really cool when you're in the theater. Yeah. Instead of the camera just desperately trying to be like, oh, we're Spider Man, we're Spider Man. Uh, but I thought, I just thought the webbing looked very natural. It looked cool. I was actually curious how they rigged it so they could remove it from him quickly enough to move on to the next scene. I don't know. I thought it was, I thought that was the best visual effect in it. 
uh, was the webbing. And he also seemed to do a couple times. He was able to, like, well, no, because it was with the people behind him in the choreo. It's like he would shoot a web at someone, and then the person behind him would pick up the gun and throw it away with the webbing. But stuff like that. I thought it was cool. I don't know. I liked it. Bad take. You hated the webbing. What? No, I'm just I'm creating a dynamism. I, I feel like that'll be exciting. That's like, yeah. If we fight at the end of the episode, I like that'll be a nice arc. Yeah, well, I mean, we can fight when I talk about in the green room. We can tell Tyler that he actually watched a great movie this week. <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, so that now, script. <laughs> yeah, this is our this is our last, um, our, really our last one, because everyone's more of a fact thing we'll end on. Yeah. So, yeah. Our last thing to really end So, uh, mm. Peter is bitten by a scientifically enhanced spider. He is told to leave Oscorp. Then a scientist rushes in and tells Norman Osborn, the entire building is in lockdown. Nothing is getting out. This was dumb. This it was the, right. It was, it was fantastic. I was like, <laughs> and he immediately <laughs> told me what I was watching. And he I was, was like, oh, was okay. Like, you just let a whole class of high schoolers leave. I, yeah. I, can we, can we yeah. come back a bit with the script here? We'll, uh-huh. we'll talk about the scene a bit because it's also about the song. Is yeah. that basically... So Peter wins a trip to see Norman Osborn's private laugh for his entire class, but the entire class hates him for it. And he sings the Willy Wonka song. Yeah, 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 that's what I'm getting at. The song (laughs) is like, he's literally like, wouldn't it be great if we weren't human anymore? Humans are bad, but genetic engineering is cool. Someday you're going to get genetically engineered, and you're going to be happy about that because humans will be dead. And that's literally the message of the song. And they're like, oh, okay, sure. Like, that is their response. <laughs> yeah. And then why did we have to watch another Uncle Ben death scene? What do you mean? I haven't seen an Uncle Ben Ben death scene. It wasn't another one in 2011. That's yeah. true. It was oh, the sorry. second no, one. No, you're yeah. yeah, you're right. It was only the second one. Yeah. Um Yeah, that's true. And we didn't get one ever with Tom Holland. So I think this was fine. I think it was okay. I think if anything they should have transplanted the scene exactly as it was and edited it into Spider-Man Homecoming as a home <laughs> video that Tom Holland watched so we could get the story. That should be the cold open. Yeah, exactly. Uh, the did bootleg say, version did ben of this? Say, did Uncle Ben say with great power comes great responsibility? So remember Spider-Man said it No, he end. didn't. No. He said something like knowledge is power and then I think Peter said <laughs> power. He's not wrong. <laughs> like, knowledge is power. So close, and then he doesn't say it and then he dies. But then Spider-Man at the end goes, Uncle Ben taught me with great power comes great responsibility. And we're like, did he? Because <laughs> unlike, unlike Unlike the uh, Garfield movies and the Holland movies, where it's like that line is so uh, iconic to Cliff Robertson's uh, Uncle Ben, we don't want to repeat it. I kind of get the attitude there, but here it's a musical, so that doesn't matter. This is the first time Spider-Man has been in- uh, interpreted on the stage. Yeah, so the line should be there. <laughs> has has it been proposed on this show or somewhere else that John Favreau is written out of the MCU by becoming Uncle Ben and then dying? <laughs> I, I don't know if I've actually... I, I don't know if I've said... No, I've... I read that once on Twitter as an idea. I was like, that's a good idea. Just yeah. reveal that Happy's real name is Ben, have him marry Aunt May, and then have him die. 
Like, that would be the logical ending to his arc. Have it be, Peter's like, I'm finally over Mr. Stark. And Happy's like, that's great, I'm marrying your mom. And they get married at the civil ceremony, and then they go to the wedding to get the big formal wedding done, and then he's just shot in the head by the Punisher, and that's the beginning of the movie. Why is the Punisher getting involved? And we see the blood ooze out, and a Deadpool shows up like, surprise, it's an R-rated movie, guys, I'm teaming up with (laughs) Spider-Man. And Tom Holland's like, Mr. Deadpool. And it's just called Spider-Man Death of Uncle Ben. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, what about that act break? Yeah, okay. So this kind of uh, this is just something briefly from me mentioned is I thought the act break I'm actually interested because now I know version one didn't have the act break here. Whereas it kind of goes back to what I was saying with the Squidward uh, Plankton axiom, which is that uh, I felt like the act break is where it is because there's so much filler up until that goblin scene. Like there's like four or five scenes of just like random side characters like being like, we don't like Spider-Man. I like Spider-Man. Spider-Man's cool. Uh, you know, and then it's just like, finally we get him turning into the Green Goblin and then he changes into his costume during intermission. Mm-hmm. Uh that was just kind of my vibe about the structure. It's like, okay, this is here so he can get on his crazy prosthetics, which makes me wonder how quick he changed his costume in version one. That's crazy to me that he did it, you know? Yeah. So so I guess Sony finally got their Sinister Six. Yeah. I mean, let, let, let's count the lineup, right? We got the Green Goblin as the leader. We've got Carnage. Uh, let there be Carnage. Uh, we got Electro. We got Swarm. We've got the Lizard. We've got Craven the Hunter. And we've got Swiss Miss, which is seven. He's at the Sinister Seven. <laughs> he says it's, I guess it's Green Goblin and the Sinister Six, so it makes yeah. sense to that degree. But I'm so used to, like, counting them all. You that, know? Yeah, that's what I've, what I've been under so, the impression, too. But. but I'm okay with it being the Sinister Seven. It's, it would fit the Turn Off the Dark verse. Is right. Araki yeah, a member yeah. of the Sinister Seven? Sinister Eight? Um, I would say in in one she would be maybe. We need one point oh. Oh, Mark, what are you, what are your script complaints? I have no script complaints. I would like to compliments? bring to you my favorite line. I don't know what this like says about. Maybe this like dates the show or something. But Mary Jane is complaining about some boy who's not Peter Parker, and she it's says, about Flash. It's Flash. Oh, it's okay. So, but yeah, but she Flash. says. Oh, he took me to the early bird special at Applebee's. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, Did the audience wow. laugh at that line? I forget if they did. I laughed at it. Uh, I don't know if it, the audience is honestly, if you watch this bootleg, the audience is really dead. Only a couple of the jokes ever land throughout it. <laughs> and they're mostly the goblin stuff. Yeah. And yeah. one other one that I'm going to talk about later on in our awards. Well, I, I just wanted to say that, that if I had seen this at whatever age I was when this came out, I feel like I would have known what that was. And, like, I mean, you know, someone else has made this joke before, but, you know, you hear that and you're like, oh, man, he took her to the early bird special at Applebee's. What a what a bad date as as I'm like ten or something. I don't remember <laughs> yeah. how old I was. Uh I was I guess I was sixteen when this came out. Wow. Oh well, well I, I was, was I was probably fifteen then. Fifteen. Fifteen. No, I was fifteen. I mean, uh, you don't know what age I am. I'm uh you know. You're young. Tyler's old. Uh I am. <laughs> uh that didn't I do want to talk about what the MDQ is. 
We needed to explain to the listeners what the what MDQ is. So, major dramatic question is just the major dramatic question. Uh, it's the question that. Well, it's the question Incredible. that over <laughs> Spider Man is Spider Man. <laughs> it oversees the entire story. So, the question, a major dramatic question of. Star Wars is well. Actually, Star Wars is a bad one because Star Wars doesn't start with Luke. Luke is introduced at twenty minutes in. The major I don't think you question... should pick a real one because, like, just pick something very vague. Because in real life, this gets really hairy. Can't I just talk about the Matrix? <laughs> is Neo the one? That's the major dramatic question. Or is, will Neo stop Agent? That's actually a very good example. Yes. Uh, yeah. Thank you. Uh, so. So what's the major dramatic question of Spider-Man Turn Off the Dark? Uh, I'm tempted to just go, I think for at least version one, it was, will Spider-Man turn off the dark? Uh, <laughs> but I don't think that's it in this one anymore. Yeah. Um, <laughs> how can we make this not look like it d- didn't have a bunch of rewrites? <laughs> I, I don't... See, I think that I think that's the thing, is why this, this did not hit very well for me. I think it's because it just seemed like a very confused script. Yeah, I, I would say, honestly, the question, if I was to want to see it on Broadway, would be, like, how did this happen? You know, it's not really a question about the story of the show. It's the story behind the show. It's the, the compelling thing about it. Exactly, yeah. But unfortunately, that doesn't work for playwriting classes. So <laughs> <laughs> our professor would be like, nope, not allowed. Yeah. So, Mark, do you have a guess? Oh, well, I mean, I... Uh, <laughs> he he does, doesn't he? And it's related to uh, Arachne. I feel like her name is actually Ariadne. Well, Man, it, my brain is fried. It's Arachne. But, okay. Um, but it, it, she actually says it in the beginning, doesn't she? She's like, oh, man, is, is Peter, is he going to, like, take... I have no idea. I do not <laughs> like. I I do not know. But I, I I should I should say that when I think of the major dramatic question when I'm analyzing something, I think of it as more like I think of it as more like a tool to hold interest versus like versus like the conflict that will be resolved. I feel I feel like that's more appropriate, and so I guess I would go with what Tyler or you said that. Will Spider-Man it, it really turn off the dark? Just about, well, not turn off the dark, but I don't know. <laughs> just, just like, you know, what what is going to happen next? And I feel like this show did a really good job of being like, oh, what 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 next is going to be like a puppet or that sort of thing. I was I was what? very invested in the spectacle of the show. What is the lizard going to do? <laughs> what di- what dinosaur will pop out of the next person's chest? <laughs> <laughs> Not enough lizard. We need the lizard cut. More lizard. <laughs> that's right. that's on the sh- on the show notes. <laughs> More lizard. Uh, all right. So, so, last bit, Tyler. This is all you. We don't really yeah. even discuss this this much. Yeah. So these are just some some facts about the show. Um, to pro- to provide some more background, um, more context. So, why yeah. this is bad. Well, so a flop. Why is this a flop? Six people were injured throughout the life of this production. Um, one person broke their hands. Another person broke their feet. Did you see the bit about the concussion? Also, the person who got yes. concussed and then lied about it. He lied about it. Went on stage and I believe flipped upside down at one point, and then 
went off stage and they they were like hey i'm dizzy uh, i'm not feeling well <laughs> so yeah uh obvious for obvious reasons um you can imagine that swinging people around a theater for two hours would uh <laughs> definitely increase the risk for injury um also the cost of this musical this musical ran for over a thousand performances, with the cost being between 1.2 million and 1.4 million to stage each week. So, in order to recoup their 75 million dollar cost, the show would have had to run for five years, according to Wikipedia. So, Spider-Man has the record for the longest preview period in Broadway history. It had 182 performances. Generally, previews last around. I'd say a month at most, right, Mark? Wouldn't you say? Um, I am honestly not super familiar with, like, that at large. But, yeah, I mean, probably like a month or two months. Now, it's worth noting that when we're counting the 2010 premiere as the premiere version one, because it, it, the opening for the previews was in November 2010. We're just doing it now because we have a free spot, and it's fun to talk about Spider-Man Turn Off the Dark. Well, actually, no, no, excuse me, excuse me. It's 2021, I bet. It, I guess we are doing it at the right time. It officially opened after previews in June 14, 2011. Yep. So, but that's a long time for previews. November to June, that's insane. That's an insane amount of time. And they, previews. they previews still Because previews is where you try to, to tech stuff out. Like, they're still paying to stage it each week. Yeah. Yeah, so they, they're still... If I remember cost. right... If I remember right, they uh, yeah okay it says right here they suspended performances for a month at one point though so it's not the full run. Yeah. In a month they closed the show. They're like we have to rewrite the whole thing. This is a mess. <laughs> and then they did it, and they're like, all right, now we're gonna open in June because we can't keep pulling this off and putting this off. So yeah, yeah, they they never never did make their money make their money back. Surprise. Yeah. So well, and it ran for three years. Yeah. All right. Which longer than SpongeBob? We'll see. The thing is, is it's like for three years you think money money would have been made back, but also the super long preview period, and then also just how costly the effects were. Well, they were able to sell us at really high prices initially, though. Gotcha. It was the hot ticket because it was like, let's see if Spider Man is what it what it is, you know? Yeah. Yeah, it's a it's a flop. How, it's forgotten. How long does it take for a normal Broadway show to recoup their money? I mean, it was it was remarkably short. It was like yeah. measured in months. I, I think Hades time out of recoup already because it's not an expensive show to put on. Mm. Uh, but like something like Hamilton took a bit to recoup, but it also didn't matter because Hamilton Hamilton was considered like an okay bet, you know? Yeah, yeah. Or like something like Frozen. I don't actually think Frozen ever recouped. I'm sure they'll get frozen back. I mean, they'll 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 recoup on the national tour, even if they don't bring it back to Broadway. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, they'll it'll recoup. Mm. They'll tour forever. All right, now we're moving on to. Oh wait, there is there a post credit scene? Kinda. <laughs> so the bootleg, as it be, we're big fans of this bootleg. It's the best bootleg we've ever watched. The bootleg jumps ahead about like the the play ends. There's a big applause as Spider-Man hits his three-point landing a little late, but you know what? We'll take it because it's Reeve Carney. I don't know if you guys noticed that. He, like, lands, and then he does his three-point yes. after he lands. <laughs> yes. Uh, <laughs> but then we just cut ahead to the curtain call, 
where we see there's first just a random shot of the curtain call the actress just standing there for like half a second and then it jumps out again and Peter Spider-Man comes in and gives Mary Jane the iconic kiss and then the, it cuts to related YouTube videos what a brilliant ending <laughs> <laughs> amazing alright MVP alright I'm gonna go Patrick with Page. yep Green Goblin yeah we're all in agreement It's we don't need to discuss it it's Patrick Page we love him Please come on the podcast. Uh, <laughs> we'll talk about uh, Spider-Man. Uh, favorite scene? Uh, Goblin makes a phone call. Uh, he makes this <laughs> really funny phone call to the Daily Bugle, and he encounters uh, the operating system. And it's great. It just it's hams incredible. it up, and it's, it's amazing. Mine would be the opening of Act 2, uh, Freak Like Me. Where we get the great lizard reveal along with I know no one else noticed the Craven thing, but the Craven thing was honestly like a highlight of the entire show to me. That Craven walks up, apparently his jacket has superpowers, and we're never gonna see it again. <laughs> what about I, you, Mark? Um, I, I oh, well, we've already talked about it, but I, I really liked the um the bouncing off the walls with the, the moving walls yeah. part. It was yeah. cool. Yeah, it was. But that, we've, we've talked about that. All right, the worst scene. The first Daily Bugle scene. Um, I'll just say rolling arm wheelchairs. Armchairs. Rolling armchairs. Office chairs. Rolling office equipment. Just go, Danny. Someone go. <laughs> well, I don't know. I thought you wanted to just keep talking about offices. All right, so I mine is, I didn't mention this, but I did allude to it, that the audience is so dead in this, but there's one joke they laugh at that I was so confused why it was the funny thing. They're like, all right, this is the one joke in it we'll laugh at. And it's like Mary Jane is like, you're really close to Spider-Man, aren't you? And Peter's like, I guess you could say that. And the audience just bursts out laughing at this. And I'm like, mm-hmm. what? How, how is that? Like, this is like the most basic level of Spider-Man humor. Yeah. Like, and he, it's, there's nothing funny about how I them deliver it either. It doesn't feel like it's supposed to be a joke. But the audience finds this hysterical. So that, that's my worst moment, the, my worst scene. Because I'm just like, huh? Like, this was the scene you decided to be like, yeah, that's what I like about Spider-Man. A shout-out to the woman we never talked about who looked at Peter angrily after Mary Jane's opening night. Uh, I meant to talk (laughs) about her. All I have to say is that she looked exactly like Mary Jane for some reason. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe it was her understudy. Like, it's what if, like, there's an entire... You know, sometimes actors come up with lore for their characters. What if that character is literally the understudy for the actor playing Mary Jane, and this, she's playing her understudy in the show that Mary Jane is in. <laughs> and thus... I mean, sure. And thus, if the understudy's playing Mary Jane, that character's just cut from the production. That'd be pretty funny. She, it's kind of weird because, like, Mary Jane's obviously upset and then her friend comes along and is like, oh, this guy's such a jerk. And it's like, <laughs> well, alright. Did you know that Evan Rachel Wood was supposed to play Mary Jane and Alan Cumming was supposed to be the Green Goblin? I did. Uh, okay, so what's your worst oh. scene in this? Sorry. Well, it, it goes against everything that I've said before about like the magic of theater. Um, <laughs> but if if I had to pick, it would be you know they go to the lab, and all this stuff happens, and then Osborne is like, "Ah, oh, my mutant spider has escaped. Where did it go?" <laughs> and and everyone's running around, and Peter's like, "Oh my gosh, what? There's some chaos at the lab." The, where's the mutant spider? 
and everyone's like running around very quickly on stage and then kind of weirdly slowly a, a puppet a large puppet spider descends from like the roof or whatever and and sort of like gets it ends up like just above peter and then he goes ah and then cut to black and I just thought that was really I, funny. I bought the costume, not the costume. The spider was so, I get that cedar, but it was so ridiculously huge and obviously like yes. felt that I was just like, all right, okay. Well, it, it descended at that speed that it, it seems like the joke speed of lowering something onto stage. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so what's the best moment? Frank Sinatra Goblin playing the piano. Yeah, this is kind of something where Tyler took the actual best moment of the show, so we had to come up with different ones for ours. <laughs> Actually, that's not true. I would have said mine regardless, because I didn't find a place to mention it earlier. I mentioned <laughs> it briefly, is that you remember how Spider-Man, when he retrieves his super suit from the Daily uh, Bugle, he randomly wears it as a jacket? Well, in that scene, JJJ <laughs> is like, Peter, why are you taking my suit? And he's like... I have to give it back to a friend of mine. And, like, it fits him perfectly. So, JJ's either a total, total idiot, which I don't think he is, or Peter nonchalantly reveals to, like, his greatest public enemy, like, the pu- biggest public enemy of Spider-Man, that, who is Secret Identity, because he's like, nah, man, this is my suit. And then he just walks off. And it's never... <laughs> JJJ never returns to the story. That's it. Mark... What's your best moment? Best, I've already mentioned it, but it's when he, he, Reeve Carney swings in himself and dressed up as Spider-Man and then he takes off his mask and it's that little bit of theater magic of like, he was doing it the whole time. Mm. Unfortunately, as we learned from Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse, anyone can wear the mask, including stunt doubles. Uh. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. What's the most disappointing aspect? Um, for me, uh, where's my mid credit scene? Um, no, it's more. What of... was that really brief second of the, the <laughs> right. flash frame? Of the the, the curtain <laughs> where the person was like, ah, oh no, I forgot <laughs> to turn it off all the way. <laughs> uh, no, it's it's Peter. It's Peter Parker. But it's it's the character. I like I didn't I didn't cheer for for this Peter Parker. Um so yeah, it that was more of more of the, the writing for that character. Mine was I wanted more of the villains. <laughs> specifically the not I mean, I love the goblin in it. He's great. I don't necessarily need more goblin. I would like more of any, I want more lizard too, but I felt like of the sinister sticks, the lizard's the only one who really comes back. You know, or at least one that we could see in this bootleg. <laughs> yeah, I'm really glad that the bootleg always caught the lizard like flopping across the stage. <laughs> but I wanted more of that. Maybe that's the problem with the bootleg. But I also think they could have been written into the story more. I think it would have been cool to have one of the supervillains even in Act One, if possible. Yeah, maybe you put the Swiss Miss there because it doesn't make sense that she's an animal mutant if she's made of knives. Mark, I am just. I'm not going to explain my take, but. <laughs> imagine, imagine this. Sh- I'm imagine this show. If there was no swinging, imagine the the possibilities to to convey the same information without like 
like people in wires and stuff. Yeah. Can I can I add a little? I know people are tired of me talking, but I want to add a little something that I forgot to mention. Uh, I'll do it really quick. I feel like it's a very common thing nowadays when there's Disney Broadway stuff that the common is like this is just a theme park show they put on. And I feel like this show definitely has that vibe more than any Disney Broadway show I've seen. Part of it's the costuming, a part of it's the swinging because you wouldn't usually get that on Broadway ever because that's such a way to get the kids excited. Uh, but that's just a side comment I wanted to make because this feels very much like maybe it belongs more on a cruise ship mm. than in Broadway. Uh, but anyway, best surprise. Uh, the Goblin Comedy. I didn't expect it, but I enjoyed it. Yeah, the lizard costume flopping around. <laughs> I like that at the very end, Spider-Man lands on... Because at the beginning, he's just on the stage or he's over the audience, but at the end, he lands on... I, I guess it's the mezzanine? Mm-hmm. But he he actually like swings so far out that he is able to land on the mezzanine in front of people, and that like the the balcony area. <laughs> Sorry, you just made me imagine. What if the bootlegger was sitting there and like the fireman just like he's like oh shit and he just like puts the eyes to scan. <laughs> Tyler, send us out. Oh, wait. 
First, before we set this up, Mark, do you have anything you want to pimp or say before we cut you off forever and send you away to the recesses of No Podcastville? Uh, I'm an actor in New York, um, and you can you can find me on Facebook, um, at Twitter at Mark Young Tweets, um, Instagram uh, my Insta, and uh, also um, I am now on uh, ACX, which is the Audible marketplace for audiobook narrators so if anyone wants to look me up on there and get me to narrate a book or anything like that mark why didn't you tell me this i would have had you read the description for version one well i'm not sure anyone should have read the description for version one (laughs) 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 okay all right they, All right. I, well, that's, I hope I hope that every you know now it's it's weird saying it now because we've been recording for you know no one expected this would be a three hour recording <laughs> in the middle of the night. <laughs> I, I'm normally a little more put together, but thank you guys for having me on. This this was really fun. Yeah, yeah. Loved having you, Mark. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Why Is with Ty and Dan. We can be found on various podcasting platforms, including Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Pandora, and on our website, Why Is with Ty Dan We are also on YouTube at our channel, Why Is with Ty and Dan. You can also contact us by email at Why Is with Ty Dan at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter at Why Is with Ty and One because I'm number one. You can also follow me, Danny Vincent, on Letterboxd at BlankMints for reviews of movies, including those not in the MCU. Unfortunately, not including Spider-Man Turn Off the Dark because bootlegs are not movies. We'll see you next week. We're we're done with the 10th anniversaries for now, but we're going to start prepping for some upcoming stuff, beginning with Loki by rewatching Avengers 1. See ya then. Well, hear ya then, or whatever you want to call me then. Bye-bye now. Catch you next week.